All right, hey everybody, and thanks for tuning in to what is now the second episode of the Shooting Time Podcast with your host, Phil Conkey. I hope you guys have liked the first episode so far. If you did like that one, I suspect that you like the second one as well. Um, We're going to get into some stuff, maybe not quite a science, he's the first one, but maybe a little more touchy-feely side of hunting, um, as well as photography too, uh, with Doug Steinke. And before we get into that, uh, these, these podcasts... I'm recording them ahead of time a little bit, so I give myself a little bit of leeway in terms of stuff going on at any given time. So this one was recorded a few weeks ago from today, and in that time I've been pretty busy setting up other podcasts, trying to talk to people, figure out times and things like that that we could get together with the folks that I really want to talk to. And I'm doing that really so far out now in preparation for a big game hunting trip that I'm going to be gone for 25 days on. It's going to be a high country, uh, back country, backpack in mule deer hunt in Colorado with our bows. I'm really looking forward to that one. And that trip will lead directly into a Montana uh, elk hunt with our bows, also a backcountry hunt. We did do that one last year, and that's with four of my friends, the mule deer hunters with one of the same guys that's going on that uh, elk hunt. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's uh, taking a lot of time, though, in preparation in terms of scouting and just getting a lot of other things done ahead of time. Just stupid little things like trying to fix my lawnmowers and make sure those are good and go so I can mow the day before I leave. Um, Sorting out all my gear over and over. Make sure I've got all the stuff I need but nothing extra so I don't have to carry it up to 12,000 feet. Been doing a lot of research on those haunts in terms of um, Onyx type scouting and Google Earth type scouting. Doing some 3D mapping stuff looking to see it ways to get into spots that we think we want to hunt. Which is all fun. Just takes up more time than I would think. Then one of the, the things that maybe relates more to this podcast than anything is I've been working on a uh, goose blind at my friend Bill Bartz's house, and he is the co-host on these first two episodes here. And we have a, a really cool opportunity to hunt a neat spot, a uh, really large grass, green grass field that we hunt uh, that was early season molt migrators and some local geese. We do shoot those as well, um, but we're we've got kind of a a semi-permanent blind sunk down into a, a short drainage ditch and we basically completely disappear and last year we had a, a big willow blind just stuck in and even with that we did really well and you can't say birds completely didn't pay attention to it but it's similar along the lines of like an a-frame or a uh, axe blind or something like that that they're gonna that they see but they won't work right or two but now being flat with the surface i'm really looking forward to september one thing we're going to do with that is we're actually going to try to do several different podcasts live from the blind and we'll try to record them that same record them and get them out that same day so i think that'll be interesting uh, probably leave the hunting sounds the calling the shooting a lot of that small talk right in there so i think that'll be really fun something kind of unique um, i'm really really looking forward to that so anyways we'll get on to this po- episode um this is doug Steinke. he's from grand island uh, Nebraska. He's an awesome photographer. Uh, you'll hear me say that a bunch. I, I really respect his work and I respect his take on hunting and just kind of how he feels about it. And that's one of the reasons I had him on because I think our both of our uh, respect for the, the hunting world, the birds and the traditions kind of go in line. So hopefully you guys find it entertaining and uh, let me know some feedback. And on that note, let's take them.
So uh, we've, okay. got, we've got Mr. Doug Steinke from Grand Island, right? Yep. Nebraska on. Uh, mm-hmm. Doug, Doug actually was recently on Jake LaTondres' uh, podcast YouTube uh, page here just like a week ago. Um, he's an amazing duck hunting photographer. Uh, he's a duck photographer. He's a duck hunter. Goose, big time goose hunter. Fly fisherman, <laughs> walleye fisherman. I'm trying to think of all the things I've seen you do. A wiper fisherman. You'll notice yeah. he has a, a Boston uh, hat on. He's not from Boston. And no. he's a father and a cornhusker fan. Yes. Does that kind of wrap everything yeah. up, do you think? Yes, that that's you? everything. Is that you in a bundle? Like that's my- me in a bundle yeah i i would say that's about it yeah my uh so how i met doug again is in one of those the same as most of the people i know um and that you'll probably hear on this podcast is through instagram i don't think i think maybe we knew each other from facebook a little bit but i don't think we had talked until kind of we both started doing the instagram thing yeah 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 that's probably it and uh it just it opened up my eyes to like some of the stuff he had done and as much as I was taking photos for quite a few years before we'd met, I never, I didn't know a lot of the other guys that were doing it until, until that whole world popped up and I saw Doug's photos. And I think one of the ones that I saw that really made me like, actually like start to follow you and then chat with you was that one of the dog jumping off the bank yeah. on the Platte yeah. River there. Um, so yeah. I, that, if you guys haven't seen, if you don't know of him yet, definitely take a, take a peek at his page. He has... Um, he does an amazing job of telling the stories of, of hunting. Um, not just like where my, I, I try not to pigeon myself, pigeonhole myself quite as much as I used to being just a duck photographer. Um, but Doug is definitely way more well-rounded and he's the guy that, that takes those photos that really just like scream duck hunting and that, that goal, like that feeling, the intense, like the passion of duck hunting, I think. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, that photo. Yeah, I think that's what you're going yeah. for. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I try to make art. I was that's what I always tell the guys. I get they get very mad and frust. The guys I hunt with they get very frustrated with me because yeah, when it comes, I, I just don't want to take photos. I actually want want to create art. And, yeah, and that it takes time and. Yeah, I don't know why I was just thinking about. Well, I was thinking about that last week with Jake's podcast, but thinking about the upcoming season and things of that could happen or where to go and what things to do. I'm already thinking in my mind, you know, the scenes, trying to get that scene to get what to include, what I missed last year that I should have got. And yeah, but yeah, but in general, hoping the lighting works out that day and the fog is there. The sun is right. Yeah. I used to, I used to, well, yeah. Looking back, I used to have all these, I used to get a lot of two page layouts and I haven't had a two page layout in, two or three years. And I think it's, I need to get back. Yeah. I need to get back. I need to get back to that landscape view of, yeah. of thinking about things and whether it's the dog photo or kind of the warm moody, the mood man, the mood man photo yeah. photos. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what I, I need to get back to that instead of, I don't know. I've been working, I've been working on some shooting photos and yeah, I think that's well, those done. Are the, and, those are uh, uh, often asked for, uh, request yeah. by the magazine, so it makes sense. Yeah. So maybe before we dive too deep into um, into the uh, photography world, what mm-hmm. else? What 
else have you been up to this summer? I know I see, it seems like you're doing a fair amount of fishing this year. <laughs> uh, in, in bits and pieces, uh, my wife has had a busy schedule with one of our boys. So I've been kind of home grounded. I wouldn't say grounded at home. I would just say grounded or yeah. home grounded. Uh, I've got two boys now in high school and I'm living the, the dream or the nightmare of having youth in sports run, 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 run every, you know, three, three days out of the week or football camps or some type of camp and, and obligations with those. Uh, but then when we get a chance to go fishing, we'll go, you know, three or four days solid and just, just go, go for it. But yeah, doing a lot of fishing out at McConaughey. Um, yeah, I'm just working on little projects. Go ahead. Um, one, one thing about that I was thinking, and I have this conversation with a few of my, with my, uh, friends that have kids. I don't have any kids. Um, some Mm -hmm. of the guys that I hunt with, they have, you know, one, two, three kids, and they talk a lot about how much time they spend as well on driving kids around and going to events. And it seems like every week they're going to especially here in South Dakota, like you don't have a town, you know, you don't have multiple teams in your same town or even close a lot of times. So they're driving one, two, three hours for these events. And I always wonder, like if I was growing up now, like I wasn't super into sports. I was in, uh, I was in tennis in the spring, which back then for me, I didn't have a lot going on in the spring, but I always like, I specifically didn't play football or anything in the fall because it, it coincided with hunting. And yeah. I, I had the opportunity to go out. My dad got off work early. So every evening we could go out and we could chase pheasants every evening. And I like specifically made the choice to not do that. So that I could hunt. And I was kind of wonder with like a guy like you who hunts a lot or fishes a lot. Do you think, do your, did your kids kind of like weigh, like balance that all? Like I love football, man. I like to fish, but I think I'm going to do this for now. Do you think that was like a conscious choice for them or how do you think that uh, worked out? It is and it's not. It it is. Uh, my son's wrestling, and I was I was the same way in high school. I was exactly like you. I didn't go out for basketball or wrestling, primarily yeah. because it really interfered with my. I just wanted to hunt. Yep. And yeah, and and back where I grew up at, you could you could you could literally. That was back when you could bring your shotgun to school, put it in your uh, put it in your locker. Man. You could bring yep. it into school and. Didn't even think twice about yeah, it. No one, and, no one sounded the panic alarm. Yeah, speech. You know, and I remember our speech. We had a our sophomore year. We had speech. We had demonstration speech. Had to de- demonstrate how to do something. I oh, guarantee yeah. you. Yep. We had four forty demonstrations on how to take apart and clean a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, was, oh my! The, SWAT I'm, team yeah. would be there now. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, it's. I think it is a conscious decision for him, but I think you, if you don't, you get left behind and I think there's peer pressure and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It it is tough. It's tough to, it's tough to balance all that. And, and then even as a parent, even, even like I've lost, I I guess I could say I've lost a lot of hunting friends just because they're every Saturday morning at nine o'clock, they're at either a, a basketball tournament or a wrestling tournament and, or then they got, you know, some other may have football practice on a Sunday afternoon that, you know, that above and beyond what's, what's going on just for youth sports or the youth things. And yeah, it kind of makes it, yeah, it's, it's, a it's just, but it's, but it's a challenge. Well, even like this summer, uh, we had planned 
a, uh, I was taking my, my son once he's thinking about going to university of Wyoming. He wants to go to Wyoming for school. So we had planned a little visit and while we were out there, they just happened to have a football camp. Uh-huh. So we did the football camp as well. Dude, I had three photo opportunities to go take photos, places for people that came up, you know, during the, uh, yeah. And you just got away. I mean, it was uh, like, yeah, I mean, it's just, and it's crazy. It's like as a freelancer, your phone may not ring for two months. And then just like that, it all come. I mean, within like a week I had, you know, three opportunities to go do something and I had to turn them all down because we were going to be gone that entire weekend. And, oh wow, you know, but that, but you know, but you can't, yeah, it's one of those, you have, you, that's you one of the things you just have to do. You just have to do it. Yep. And yeah, I don't regret it at all, but that's just the way it goes. But, and I'm sure everybody has that to yeah. some, on one, one aspect some or form. Yep. Whether yeah, it's yeah. that or whether it's someone going to church or whether it's someone, oh, yeah. someone significant other needs to go to, <laughs> you want to go to a play or this or that. There's always something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Always something. Yeah. It's never, yeah. it's never as simple as it seems. And it seems like the more, the older that you get, it almost seems like you would be, um, have it easier like you have yeah. more lined out where that you're not, you don't have all these other things coming up, but it's almost the opposite. You, yeah. Think, yeah. you think you have things more like simple in your life and yet it just keeps getting more complicated. You add more layers and layers onto things. Yeah. So I found like this is the least I've ever fished in a summer and I've actually had the least going on, but I've fished less than I ever have in the past probably 10 years. So I'm trying to figure yeah. out exactly why that is, but either way, I should mention that we have uh, my friend Bill Bartz is also on the line here as well. Um, I don't know if Bill has anything to say, chime in yet, but uh, not at the moment. Just, just taking let, it in with you guys, but <laughs> let people know that he is uh, he's here. So there's one thing I want to talk about that we kind of touched on here. That you talked about some of the guys that you lost in your group, but maybe before that, you know, one thing that I think that's cool and, and there's a huge part of of duck hunting is just like our history. Um, I don't necessarily buy the the argument that duck hunting should stick around because it's a tradition. But I do think, <laughs> I, I, you know, a lot of people try to justify it just as being a tradition to like a non-hunter. And I, I don't think that, you know, let's say, holds a lot of weight with those folks. But within the community ourselves, I think it's always something that's really cool to know about, um, whether it's like my friend's history or other people, how they got into it. And I like hearing like, you know, the, the genesis of how your duck hunting started kind of who who got it into you the places um like memorable like a memorable event or it's like a process yeah. maybe made made someone like because there's a lot of people who get introduced to duck hunting that it just fades away after a couple of years or when they're 21 they don't really go anymore because their buddies don't do it so you know what do you think is like how did that whole start thing start for you that that waterfowl hunting became such a big deal for you oh my, my uh, father took me out when he was eight years old. Well, I might've been seven or eight on a little river called the Republican river down by superior Nebraska. And it's a real small, eh, it's probably 30 yards across at that point in time, but it's shallow sand bottom. Uh, he took me hunting out there and I remember we only saw one duck and it was a hen, but, uh, <laughs> but I loved it, but it, but, it, but it was just going out and doing that thing. And you could buy decoys. And I remember going to the coast to coast and buying him a Christmas present of one mallard duck decoy. Um, <laughs> can't even do that. And then we moved. Hardly. I know. Yeah. Then we, uh, we moved to Holdridge. His job took him to Holdridge. And, uh, at that point in time, there was a place, uh, called Sacramento, which had a cap. They were trying to get a, 
you can imagine they were trying to get a population of Canada geese established in this central flyway. Oh, yeah. You know, we talked so about that, that in, in last week's podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we so they were building that flock. So we had, you know, we'd have probably at times 30,000 Canada's in and around wow. in and around just Holdridge itself or, you know, on the river system. Uh, and, and then we have the, we have the Platte River and, and the rainwater basin area. Everything was wet back then and there was waterfowl everywhere. I mean, you could... That's what's that's what's good and sad. I mean, there's like last year I went back to the places that I used to grow up and hunt. There, there's like I went to like 16 places that I specifically 16 places that I used to hunt when I was growing up, and they're all gone. Oh, you know, grassland. Just now. because. Tell me. Oh uh, no! Well, they're all they're all farmland. No, they're all that's all corn. Ugh. But the introduction of uh, center pivots has mm-hmm. just. It's so efficient to water these days. You know, they've got it down to, to such efficiency, there's no runoff. Yep. And back in the day, it was all runoff. And I think we were getting more rain back then, too. But oh, And there, you sure. used to have marshes. You used to have marshes. I mean, you just used to have... Little shallow cattail marshes and grass absolutely. marshes. Absolutely. And they'd we're, be everywhere. We're kind almost of like we're... Yeah, almost up there in South... I go up to South Dakota, you know, north of the, the river there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, all these little, that's kind of how we didn't, they weren't huge potholes like that, but they yep. were every other quarter had a marsh on it. And uh, now you're, you, you just, you can't find anything. And I think that's attractive from hunting now. But anyway, when I grew up, that's, we had a place up on the Platte River and you could go out to the marshes, but there was one specific marsh called Funk Lagoon that back in the day was private and, uh, my buddy had access to it and that's where I grew up at most. That's where I hunted at almost all the time. And yeah, again, like bringing shotguns to school, our parents would just drop us off when we're like sixth, seventh, eighth graders. They would just literally drop us off in the morning and then come pick us up like at two o'clock in the afternoon. And we would, we would hunt every, almost every weekend on a Sunday or if we didn't have school, we'd go and just, stash as many shotgun shells in your pockets as you could go and and uh yeah we would just we would spend the entire day out there just that's like a dream you know, as, being, a, as a being, kid yeah 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 being huck finn yeah, yeah. i mean it was being, just being able to make all your own decisions don't have to yes, have the dad yes. there to tell you that you're gonna do this or that yeah and just all the misery and experiences and all the exploring, you know, kids could do back there at that age. It was just phenomenal. Yeah, and now yeah, I feel bad because my kids have really not had that. I mean, even with all my contacts, it's just it's those places just don't exist anymore. In these places you it's, hunted when you were a kid, um, was it public ground or was that on private ground you were on? It was all private. And but back then, you know, yeah talking the old guy talking about oh back then but yeah back then you kind of knew everybody or your dad knew everybody and all it took was a phone call to get on and there was just so many places that you could hunt that it never really was a deal especially when you're kids too you know you go up to you know if you're a kid or you, you my dad may not it's like me there's places that my boys can hunt that i can't hunt that i have friends oh yeah the kids want to hunt go ahead but yeah, but you know, however it works. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not, take, yeah, that's okay. It. And I, 
Yeah, I understand that. And I totally understand it. But yeah, it's, there's very little public ground back then. And I guess now there's a little bit more, but, uh, cause now that big marsh that I talk about Funk Lagoon, it's all public, but they went in and, and I don't know one story or another, but yeah, it just does not hold, it just does not hold the water like it used to. And, oh, it's. Yeah, it, and I think it has to do a lot with rain conditions too. I know they just have not received any. I used to be an agronomist in that area. You know, I was in college. I was a crop scout. And then just the rainfall patterns just have not been beneficial. And I mean, I'm, we're talking like a 16 square mile area. They just have not received a huge rain like they've had in the past. It's been very minimal. It's interesting. I mean, you don't get you don't get that 10 inch gully washer. You know, they've had yep. it 10 miles away, but they just have not had it there. It's interesting how that little, those little like micro environments can be affected yeah. so much when, um, like how they can affect duck hunting. I know that we've had that in several years just around here. Like we have some areas that are super, super dry. Like when I moved to South Dakota, um, the first thing I did was I grabbed the, the red, uh, gazetteer atlas and I started looking for marshes and whatnot. And I found one on the map that looks awesome. So I drove five miles out of town went to go look for it and got on top of my truck with my binoculars and I'm glassing the area where this should be a marsh and it's just a hundred percent grass. Like, well, where's the where's stupid lake at? I don't get it. And as I um, went back to town that night and grabbed a burger at the bar, they said, oh, that's been dry for a few years. Well, sure enough, like three weeks later, we had like 12 inches of rain in three days and the thing filled back yeah. up and it was a three mile long lake just like that. And it was unbelievable duck hunting. But up until then, it had been dry for several years at least. And all of a sudden, you have this like little area that was probably maybe fit like probably 15 by 15 miles that was this awesome duck area that people in the area had kind of forgot about. So it didn't get any pressure. And I kind of had it to myself. I happened to live in that within that little locale. And it was just ducks everywhere. So it was this weird kind of thing and that yeah. like you talk about that those specific rains if i ever like, give advice to people coming to any of like the northern states it's one thing i always say is make sure to check the rain the previous <laughs> rain for the past month or two because that can absolutely determine like you might go to a spot where there's always been ducks for years and years you've come here but if 20 miles away they got that like you said that gully, that 10 inch gully washer yeah all those ducks are going to locate phew, super fast i mean yeah. within days often to those that flooded corn the flooded beans the, that fresh grass that's underwater so i think that's always like a cool thing to talk about duck hunting both the boon and the bust of it how it can make or break yeah. an area oh. and people just like, a lot of times like when you're a kid you take it for granted that those spots are gonna always be there and they're always gonna have ducks and it's always gonna be water but it's not the case i mean it's the way the the weather patterns can change you know year, year to year sometimes can change a duck hunting spot yeah so. that's I think this year is going to be that way. Like last year, we had one of those gully washers right here in town, close to town. And for teal hunting, I didn't have to go more than 15 or 20 minutes from my house the entire early season. And this year, unless we get some rain in the next month, I'm, I'm looking at, God, it's going to be an hour and a half, two hours away. I mean, there's yeah. just, there's just nothing. And it'll be like, it, that's how it was a couple of years ago too. It was just nothing. And that's it's yeah, but that's so, the ebb and flow of rainfall, you yeah. know. So is that so like your teal spots? Is that mainly in that in the basin there? Yeah, yeah. 
Yep. Pretty much all in the basins. And then all those small basins that have been dry for it. Well, in fact, one of the spots that I went last year uh, was one of my, my best spots, uh, south of town. It was, it, it had water in it, I think seven years previous. So it did not have water in it for seven straight years. And then oh, finally wow. had water in it. Yeah. I had water in it again last year and it's right now it's completely bone dry again. So, yeah. So yeah, but I mean, it's, and that's the same, like if, uh, back where I grew up, you know, in that holdridge area, it's the same way. If they would get a couple of gully washers, all those 16 places that I used to hunt, you know, oh, most of them are going to have water. It's just that, you know, now there's no water corn. runoff. It'll be corn. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but, but then that opens up a whole, whole nother area that hasn't, hasn't had a lot of hunting pressure. I mean, everybody quit hunting back there. I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I've, I told last year, I told a friend, I said, it's just dying. And it is, I mean, the tradition of duck hunting and, mm-hmm. and, the, and especially in central Nebraska is just, you know, 20 years from now, it'll just be, I don't, I don't know what it'll be, but it'll be half what it is now, at least. I mean, they're just. I would absolutely agree with that. That's actually a really good lead into something I want to talk about later on, but I think it, it brings it up perfect right now. Um, and it's kind of that, and I, maybe, and maybe you've noticed this and it seems to me that how strange it is where duck hunting is popular versus where it isn't. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Like here in South Dakota, duck hunting is not a popular activity among locals. We have one of, I mean, for one, we have the smallest, one of the sm- smallest populations of in general in the state, but we have a very small duck hunting population which is good because we don't actually have a, a real large area that holds a lot of ducks. Um, but duck hunting is phenomenal in those areas. And the strange thing is, is that within that, that part of the state, you don't find much for duck hunters. And I would say the same is true in North Dakota, Montana, um, all those Western States where it's awesome and really almost an untouched resource. I mean, if you go, I'm sure I assume North Dakota probably sells more, non-resident licenses than they do resident Mm -hmm. i about guarantee they do and so but then you go to a place like central nebraska now like along Mm -hmm. that platte river where hunting is still is really good and it's a huge thing i mean like yeah that's one reason because like i want kind of want to talk about the history of the platte river and hunting it maybe here later yeah i don't really have a problem and i assume you don't either because it's not as if someone's just going to come in from Kentucky and, no. and hear us talking and say, oh, yeah, this is a uh, I want to go hunt the plat because they talked about it because like, you just can't get on it anywhere because it's that popular within, um, I would say, almost the whole length of the state, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And it's it's uh... because the because that plat river runs the yeah. North Platte runs from what, like all the way from the, the Colorado border oh, yeah. all the way yeah. through the middle of the state and dumps into the Missouri river. And yeah. anywhere along there, it's guy it's leased. There's blinds. I mean, yes. there's very little public opportunity and all, I, uh, and it's, it's interesting how, how that is. Whereas if you get outside of that little area where hunting is still probably very good in a lot of the States that that state particular, it's really yeah. probably not much for hunters. No, it's not. It's, I would say about 10 years ago, 10 years ago is when I think you started seeing a lot of people buy property on the Platte River more for deer hunting than duck hunting. And I think the duck hunting has just dwindled. 
I, I think we're all our, uh, you know, the, the general consensus is all our birds are being short stopped up on the Loop River system. And at, 20 years ago on the Loop River system, you barely had any corn up there. You just weren't no hybrids that could survive. You know, you needed a 90 day growing season. And even that far north, we're not even talking 100 miles or even 150 miles north. I'm not sure growing where, that, where is that? Uh, it's basically the top. Well, it's, it's basically smack dab in the middle of the state. I mean, it's a huge area. I mean, it's a huge, vast area, and there's a lot of a lot of places. There's not even really con- heavy concentrations. I mean, there's a few up there on the loop, but they're so yep. scattered. But uh, uh, again, a lot of that. But a lot of that property along the Platte River, um, there used to be the, the old adage was there's a duck blind every quarter mile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now I would, and I've. I've seen it and talk, you know, and when I worked for this natural resource district, it was a environmental state agency here that, you know, we would keep track of, you know, of just activity on the river and just looking at aerial photos, you could see blinds and things like that. And I would, I would venture to say right now on the Platte river from Columbus, Nebraska out to North Platte, there has never been so few of duck blinds on the river that there is now. Um, there's just, either the conglomerated or, um, you know, or bigger pieces of property, but we've got, we've got more areas on the river now for roosting and for habitat and the birds don't use it. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's crazy. They just, they, they, back in the day when I grew up, old guy talking, you know, back in the eighties, yeah. eighties and nineties, literally there'd be 30, you know, at one time I think there was, uh, 150,000 birds in the, in the, on a, they would do these Christmas counts. Audubon would do Christmas counts. Mm. They would do bird. They would all the bird watchers get together and they would go and try to collect. But I think there were a couple times where we were pushing 150,000 birds between Grand Island and North Platte. And someone may may be completely wrong on that, but I'm sure it was. It's in that number somewhere. Um, if we've had 30 or 40,000 birds in the at any one time in the last 15 years, maybe the last great year was like 2004, 2005. It was probably wow. the last, the last great Canada year yeah. where you could go out every day and you, you got a really good chance to shoot your limit. It, they just, just don't, the little birds push through and the Wait. big birds never, never come down. Huh. And and we get kind of stuck, but then you talk, you know, and I, I think, yeah, a lot of them are getting stuck up there on the loops and, but I think just in general, things have just switched, just changes and patterns and, you know, the little geese are getting more intimidated by snow geese and maybe they're sucking them down with them and, you know, but Same if you lots. talk to, yeah, if you talk to Kit Peck, you know, down in Oklahoma, he says the same thing. The little birds are pushing right through going to Texas and. So, that's, so, yeah, it's actually interesting that you would notice that there because we talked about that last week with Ryan Askren. Um, he's a biologist mm-hmm. and he he mentioned how he mentioned those how birds specifically it. moved to the coast. Like he said, the exact same thing. And he also mentioned how he thinks that the birds are like their patterns have been changed by hunting. Like they as a as like a not necessarily a biology group, but as something they've talked mm-hmm. about is how hunting pressure has changed where birds move to. So if something that was heavily hunted like that, you know, up until you yeah. said not that long ago, yeah. over that time, you would, that would make sense that you would see that switching of patterns. If they're consistently getting hunted, hunted, hunted out of there, that they would move off a little bit. 
and go wherever, whether they stop short of you or they push through or go around, I think that would make exact sense, kind of coincide with that same thought mm-hmm. of what of what you're seeing. So <laughs> kind of yeah. kind of cool to actually have it something like that backed up by observations. And, yeah. And the same, and I would say the same thing for the Missouri where we hunt is we just don't see the birds. They they don't stick around as lot around as long i think part of it's because they have been hunted so much and they continue to be hunted so much that they just don't deal with that pressure and they just scoot on down somewhere where they can stay safe on a, a refuge or whatever in missouri or, or arkansas or something like that and at least have a place so they can sit you know we don't have the refuges here like yeah. those places you hold them so they get down there and they're they're at least safe till they leave the refuge so but we don't have that on most places we hunt so kind of a whole, yeah. a whole different scenario really <clears throat> yeah, we we have a lot of actually the birds that have been around. They've transitioned more from the river to sand pits. You know, big. Oh, yeah, we have these big sand pit quarry, big along the along the interstate and that. And again, we've had more. There's more aerators. I mean, there's more aerators along the whole system. Where we're you know, back in the day, come January first, everything was locked up. I mean, everything was just frozen solid and there were still birds around, but you know, now we've got aerators everywhere and it's pretty common whether people are, yeah, whether they're trying to protect fish or trying to protect their docks or try to keep them. We have guys who just try to create their own roosts, you know, and, and they're not even holding the birds that they used to 10 years ago. And I, I didn't just, I don't know. I think last, I think the last couple of years we've had bad duck seasons because of, the timing of fronts and when they come mm-hmm. through and you know, like there was, you guys can load up with just a gazillion ducks, but if it's that first big push of the year and some biologist was trying to describe this to me that though, all those, all those birds that come down, generally there's a Northwest flow or a big North wind or something like that. Well, the last two years, you guys have had a huge West wind and it's actually pushed them down the missouri river corridor yeah yeah and we haven't got them and yeah even though they will they'll eventually work their way back up in the spring but they'll just blow through the missouri river but that's actually i I think that makes a lot of sense because um some guys i've talked to that hunt the mississippi said that this was one of their best this past season was one of their best years um so that that would make sense they would scoot right across that eastern edge of south dakota and hit that mississippi area over like mm-hmm. that kind of Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota corner, those guys had really well, really good seasons. And like I, you'll probably probably hear me talk about this a billion times in this podcast. How last year was just for us the, the most miserable duck season we've ever had. <laughs> a super like you like exactly like you said, we had a super early push. Those birds left. Uh, we don't get them back once they're gone. And then the ones yeah. that, were, that did hang tight up north didn't make it down until another huge push. So we kind of just missed out on a, a lot of those birds and. And like once they're gone, once we lose them, we don't get them back. We don't get a reverse migration yeah. dirt within the season. So it was done. And at that point, your season's kind of gone, and you sit there and watch and hope for next year. But <laughs> you know that's all. We were. I, mean, I was already in, yeah. in in my hope, looking at next season mode in on November fifteenth last year. Going, man, maybe it'll be better next year. Yeah, yeah. We're we're fortunate here. We have just because of the climate, and you know, we'll hold birds almost all year long, and even. Even when I say last year wasn't very good, or even the year before, the primo spots, the the awesome spots, yeah, they they do well every year, no matter what. I mean, they're going to shoot their birds, you know, whether it, there's you know there's certain sanctuaries that always hold birds, and those blinds around those sanctuaries will always do well. It's just the fringe areas, you know, it's that seven to eight mile stretch in between the the spots, yeah, 
that that just, usually get traffic usually get traffic or you know you know there's places by gibbon and and just just outside of grand island that i mean literally they won't they won't see a duck for a week <laughs> i mean oh. a single duck a single duck in the middle of the season you really and, have to love know, it to go out when and after that yeah and there are and there and there are guys who still do and 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 which is good and and i even just even the guys that i hunt with now we just go you know what friday comes around and we'll go friday saturday and if it's not good on friday or saturday we won't go sunday but if it's good on friday or saturday or we think we have an opportunity we'll go sunday and and if just even to the point of just going out setting things and having breakfast and you know kind of i've i've said that before where i I think i was maybe it was even on our when we recorded last week where i said there's never been a time where i actually regretted going yeah like once you're out there you're happy that you went even if it's slow and i was thinking are you going to be like 80 years old and say Oh man, I'm sure glad I didn't go duck hunting those days. You never, you never say that. There's days that that you wish you would have went for sure. Whether it's because you got a text message from a buddy saying it's awesome, or just knowing yeah. that they're out there and you didn't go for whatever reason, you're always oh, wishing yeah. you were there. So I think the idea of just of just going is, is is a smart a smart way to look at it. Yeah, and it's it is traditional, and it, it's happened every year, and it happened last year, and it'll happen this year. There'll be a point in time, the last two weeks in December. First two weeks in January, there'll be no fronts, no nothing. There's nothing going on, no moisture. And all of a sudden they show up. Yeah, they're just, just, they just unexplainable. They're just there. Yep. They're just unexplainable. Next thing, you, you know, there's nothing on the, on the river or on sand pits. And then the next morning you're, you're going out and you're just seeing birds everywhere. And you're like, you know, where did they come from? Where were you on that cold, on that 20 mile an hour Northwest wind? Yeah, yeah. The you know, the traditional days that you yep. think are just going to be killer. There's nothing, and then a week later they show up. Those are always and, been some of my biggest, most disappointing hunts. Is the days after a cold front, uh, November tenth, for example, let's say, and you're you're watching the weather like you, like a duck hunter does every single day, or, or I'm refreshing every hour. I'm looking at my phone to see if the weather is still going to say in North Dakota, I'm looking at hoping 15 degrees and snow and a Northwest wind. I'm thinking, Oh boy, tomorrow's going to be on fire. And you get there and you're looking at the same ducks that you looked at for the previous two weeks. Like, what? Where are these things? And then also two days later, there they are. And it's 55 degrees and you have no idea where they yeah. came from, what pushed them. But I think, yeah. I think the, the duck migration, I think even though we have it somewhat figured out, I think it's a lot more, of a mystery than what we like to think of oh, it as. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's like anything else. We try to sit here and dissect it. No, yep. for sure. And I have, I have, yeah. And there's so many duck hunters out there that keep track of everything, barometric pressure, wind direction, all the environmental conditions they can, they can possibly get a data point on. Oh, I've got it down in my journal. They're going to, and this is going to be the day. Like it reminds me, yeah, it reminds me of a lot like tarpon fishing or something like that, where you've got currents and temperature and, and time of moon phase and Millions all this good stuff. And individual ducks yes. acting as a and whole. Think, and yes. Yeah. Three years in a row, they've come on this date yeah. when it's this temperature at this bear. And you go out there and nothing crickets nothing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i i agree 100 with that too and that's where i think it kind of comes down to the guys that 
think they know or the people that hunt that think they know are the ones that get themselves into trouble. And the ones that go just to go, like, oh, I can't yeah. go today. I can go tomorrow. I, I can hunt all week this week, actually. Those are the ones that generally have the stories talking about yes. that they did well. And it seems like while I'm guilty of this and a lot of friends that, I, that I've hunted with try to pin it down to, oh, man, did you see the forecast Thursday? I'm going to make sure I take off work Thursday. Thursday is going to be great. That's that's the ones that generally have more of the disappointing stories, I feel like. Yeah, because you're, exactly. you're missing out on other chances and pushing it off for that one that could be really good or it ends up being if it doesn't turn out up to because then you have a lot bigger expectations and you've kind of built it up to be this thing. And if it doesn't turn out to be that, you're like, Ugh, you can't sit there yeah. and you're mad that you took a day off of work and what. Yeah. Let's say uh, about. Go ahead, about the only thing about the only thing like that's really consistent and I've been doing this more and more and especially last year great it was great because you know I was so close to all the teal and, and every we had such great water conditions is that that September and October time frame man you get any kind of north wind any kind of north wind and you'll see a migration of something yep it's and it, it boggles my mind and i've the old timers that hunted the basins would always tell you how spectacular the speckle belly goose hunting was you know any wow. any day in october that you could go goose hunting and that was back when the snows would come through too but you know they would always tell you oh you, you need to hunt speckle bellies the last couple and they would have it down to like a 10 day period in october and they would just say you need to be out be out from 10 to 2 you know, 10 o'clock to two o'clock in the afternoon. If, don't get up early. Just get out there 10 o'clock to two to get the, that, Catch that you know, migration. It's, it's like 90 degrees out and you know, you're swatting off nothing. But if you got any, even a 10 mile an hour North wind during that time of year pushes birds. And then you, you know, you'll hear f- reports from your buddies out cutting corn or something. Oh yeah. There was, I saw like five flocks fly over today at, at one o'clock or two o'clock. And yeah. And it's, if you can, not everybody can. Hardly anybody can stay yeah. out there. You just know, get out and especially go. that. Oh, just get out and go. But so the last year, the last two years, I've really tried to do that. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's amazing what if, if a guy can, you know, like me, doesn't have much else going on. You can sit out there on the marsh before yeah. football practice. Yeah, you have to go coach football practice later. But yeah, it, it you'll see those huge flocks of two hundred teal come screaming over the top of the corn. Yep, noon. And they weren't there before. You know, and they're no they showed up. No, it's crazy. Yeah, it just it, showed up. It's cool when when you get to hunt a lot like that. Um, yeah, I know. Back, oh Jesus, was in my early twenties. I hunted a ton. Um, like there was a couple seasons where I hunted almost every day, and like you see things that most like you you notice things that you wouldn't notice if you only hunted one or two times a week. You notice that influx yeah. of birds. You see what weather patterns do. Um, we talk about me and Bill, one of our favorite ways to hunt is uh, that September molt migration for Canada's. And you can see it on a daily basis in September. You see that, um, that migration on a, a five mile an hour North wind, even if it's 70 degrees out that day, you're going to see yeah. high flocks in Canada's going overhead that are coming from, well, we learned last week, they might be coming from the Hudson Bay back to Southern Minnesota or Northern South Dakota. And those are the kind of things that you get to pick up on that if, you know, you're not actually out hunting a lot um, that you would never even know that existed really, unless you happen to hear about it somehow. Um, you know, yeah. We kind of, we didn't really and know it, it was a thing. We it gives you opportunity to when you're up, like shorebirds. If I start seeing a bunch of shorebirds 
I know all those little indicators of what's coming, what's around, what's happened. I think that's one of the cooler things that you actually are kind of living the migration and it's a cool way to put yourself into like into that system of what's happening around you. Whereas if you don't, if you're not involved in it enough, it's really hard to notice it and you kind of feel separated from it. But if you're out there every day and like you said, not everybody can do that. Um, but it's something cool that you get to, you actually get to notice, um, and like really experience the same way with like the spring migration. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite things about living in South Dakota is that we, we see that spring migration Like we don't have any waterfowl here from, from where I'm at probably within a 60 mile radius from like January 1st to whenever. And all of a sudden March 1st, everything just shows up in mass and you kind of get to just see that trickle and then the gates open and then everything goes crazy and then uh, you see it slowly leave and go out the back door it's just kind of cool to watch that whole thing happen over a month and a half time um same with the fall too except i get a little more excited for the fall but both are kind of the same thing only opposite directions so i'm sure you see the same thing down there yeah especially yeah we call them kansas birds as soon as you can start January, you know, you'll get, it's almost like people informants on the Kansas border down by Alma. You know, there's a few farmers down there that know some of my friends that they'll just start calling and say, Oh, they're coming. <laughs> and an hour later they're on the, they're on the river. You know, it's just amazing. It's really weird to me. This is another thing I think is cool about duck migrations is I think from your house to my house is only like two to three hours. It's not really not far at all. And yet, the difference in what you see, like especially in the spring for ducks is remarkable. How much sooner? I mean, I think you were seeing them a full month before I saw them oh, last yeah. year. And I think it was almost like February that you had them around or maybe January even, I think when we were talking. Was, yeah, January. Yeah. And I didn't, we didn't see birds really until like the first full week of March, if not even a couple of days later than that. that's a short short distance for a duck i mean that's they could fly that in a matter of an hour they'd be here and then all of a sudden but like they just didn't never came to so they didn't push like they have their little areas that they hang out till a certain amount of time in the fall like i think we can kind of connect back to what we're talking about how you see those birds on those weather patterns is and we talked about this again with ryan is like how a certain population of the ducks are calendar birds like they're just gonna yeah. they're just gonna show up on the Platte River. They're gonna show up on the Missouri River. They're gonna show up in Northeast South Dakota on such and such a date. And there's gonna be some of that regardless of the weather. But then there's those other ones that hang on till that huge weather system comes or something that really kicks them out. So yeah, I think you can yeah. kind of see both yeah. aspects of that. Yeah, I know. If you ask, <laughs> I think if you ask a few people around here, they'll they'll tell you that. And I've we've had the conversation. They'd rather see those birds blow all the way through. We'd rather have two feet of snow from, you know, from the Canada border to here. Just push them all south. And there's people that rather hunt the bounce back migration than a, the normal migration. Um, you get higher concentrations of birds. Um, even yeah, I mean, even if it, yeah, I mean, even there there were times lat in the last couple of years, even last year, there were, the river froze completely solid, and we had a lot of snow on the ground and pushed everything out except for the great big Canadas. Um, but you can't go 
even even halfway through Kansas, it doesn't really freeze solid. There's still open spots down there and they'll congregate down there. And especially if those big birds get pushed south, they want to get back north as soon as they can. And um yeah, they but it's I th- I think we get I think we get such a concentration of birds in that St. John's, Glen Elder, Kerwin Lake area. You know, everything in Kansas kind of funnels up through there. So that's why we see so many birds so quick. And then through that whole rainwater basin system, you know, they're just traditionally that's where they need to go in the spring. So they're already headed there. So even if they went down the Missouri River, they're kind of working their way across Kansas to get back up through that. Yeah, hourglass hourglass area where they can get up back through the basins. So you, I would, I would call where you live then within the uh, the mystery zone of where ducks will. Yeah, I can't think of what I called it last week, but there's a line like an imaginary line. It must be about right where you are, where those ducks will come back north within the within the actual hunting season. It's like, yeah, we yep. don't we don't get that. Like I've only ever seen, I saw it one year, and it was in. Um, we stay open for geese in one of our zones until February 15th or give or take a few days. And we did see the last couple of days of that one year, it got really warm and we did see some geese come back from the South. But other than that, we, once those birds leave South Dakota, they don't come back across the border until March. Yeah, so it's kind of a, it's like the zone that when you get South of that, the birds will bounce back and forth more freely. And once you get up here, they just, they don't do it. They don't come back that far. So yeah. kind of, I kind of like to just hear that because you hear enough guys that are south of us that talk about that. And, but yeah, we, and it's almost not even an occurrence here. Like I can't, I don't think it ever happens in Minnesota for one, their seasons yeah. go late enough, but you just, you'll never see those birds come back once they're in Iowa or Illinois or whatever. Like yeah. they, they never come back. So I'm, like, I've never quite figured out why that is. Like <laughs> Ryan Askren had a little bit of a theory that it's maybe because they know that they can stay, if they're that far south, they can get back down quick enough to where there would be resources yeah they called yeah. south dakota minnesota north dakota almost more like a danger zone uh yeah for winter level yeah like they they know that they would struggle surviving winter in say north dakota as opposed to nebraska or kansas yeah they're a quick flight back down to that oklahoma kansas area where they have open water you know, I have to ask too, when you talk about bounce back birds, do yeah. you change your hunting pattern, strategy, tactics, all that kind of stuff? Do you change that as far as birds going from north to south as opposed to back up? Is it is it a different mindset? Yeah. Uh this is how this is how I do it. Um let's let's talk can let's just talk Canada's. Yeah. Um Canada's big so late October, early November, we get the little birds and it's big spreads you're it's big early i mean as big as you want to go um you're good uh and then we'll get the first two great big pushes of of geese and then the cold fronts that come with them and then in the past the little geese have stuck around but usually they just blow through so you got you know there's about a two or three week window of opportunity that you can shoot a lot of those little birds when they go through and then it seems like the last over the last 10 years we've had oh a time span the the second week of december till about mid-january where it's just dead and it's it's just big birds small flocks and that's and i, I know i think i've talked to phil about it we'll go down to like the last couple of years we've just gone down to running literally 18 to like this year we had we ran 32 decoys because <laughs> 30, wow. that's how many dave i would have like 18 dave smiths and then i would throw out you know 
half a dozen or a dozen and a half sleeper shells on the ice or in cornfields too. And the big geese, uh, there was a back in there. I mean, we used to run a thousand decoys. We used to have a thousand sleeper spread back when nobody had sleepers. It was just freaking phenomenal. But uh, now everybody's got a, now, yeah, now everybody's got a thousand sleeper spread. But, but now all these guys who've gone big and we kind of, we kind of, we kind of, tried to get out before but we just had friends that were running big spreads and weren't shooting birds and, we, and we'd go out there and and uh we hunt at a place where you know we just can't put out a big spread anymore so we're like, hey, let's just throw out a handful and see what and sure enough we just we started noticing that that we started shooting more big birds well these guys aren't shooting anything where well, the big birds are getting smart enough that they see these huge spreads and they just skirt the edges or they go around them they'll avoid the big ones or and when we ran that huge spread one year we had that huge spread out it was like 1200 decoys and we got it frozen solid and we're talking it we're talking about jake's podcast you know that whole deal mm-hmm. it was during that during that year we just got we had that ice storm and then we had a 13 inch snow right after that and i mean literally everything was just frozen in solid we couldn't move anything. All we had were just heads sticking above. Uh-huh. The snow. <laughs> it had to be an adventure to get out. Yeah. Yeah. So, but eventually I melted enough, but we, everything we had was out there. I mean, we had a thousand plus decoys that were just frozen out there. We couldn't move, but we'd show up in the mornings and notice that there would be 10 or 15 or 30 big Canada's roosted, you know, 50 yards downstream or upstream or off to the side, they wouldn't be in the decoys that'd be off to the side. So then we we started hunting. So with all those, we got out of the blind and we would just go down the riverbank a little bit and we just put out 15 or 20 decoys out on a sandbar. And we started targeting those, those small, big flocks, those, those small flocks of big birds. So then we've kind of just migrated from that into, I mean, and, and when the, during that dead season, I mean, literally you will see, you may see three flocks of geese in a day, or you may go a week or two weeks without even really seeing a goose in our area. But then like, if you get a big blow, like last year, we got a big blow, all the big geese went through, but then you'll start hearing from those same farmers that we have talked about earlier down in Elma. They'll just come to the coffee shop and go, man, I saw the strangest thing today. I saw 10 big geese you know, 10 yards above the corn stalks, just loafing their way north. And bam, that's when you know that those those big birds are starting to migrate back north. And you can almost guarantee, it's like speckle bellies in the spring or in the, in the October. You can almost set your clock, you know, just, you just gotta be out there. And if you are, and you put in the time and it's, it's, and they're easy birds too, because those birds are, yes. And I mean, it's two honks, bam, and they're set. And you Wings don't, you don't have to do anything. Wings are locked. They're coming in. They don't make a peep. Yeah. That, that's awesome hunting last year. And, and that'll happen every year. There'll be a week or two that, that you can do that. And, and then, then right then, then you know that the, the little birds are pushing up. They're getting closer in Kansas. They're getting ready to come. But yeah, the first two or three weeks before you get the big bounce back, you'll get that. But like getting back to spreads, go big spreads, October, November, small spreads, December, January, and then garage sale spreads, you know, the last week and you everything, you throw got. Every, everything you got. I mean, when those little birds come back and you get the big flocks of 500 plus lessers, it is. Yeah. And it's, we call it, we call it Bangalore relay calling, you know, the Bangalore relays in world yeah. war two, where you have a, a team, they have a pipe and then another guy with a pipe and another guy with a pipe 
start calling because you'll blow your brains out for two straight hours calling a birds and eventually one of those flocks will come in and then you just that's just party favors you're just making noise you're yep. just trying to get their attention and then it's just yeah that's it's it's almost become more of a tradition to hunt the backside anymore. I mean, there'll be more people hunting the last two weeks of January and the first two weeks of February uh, than there will be in December or January or the beginning of it around Christmas, you know, because they just know the hunting can get so good at the end. And and now they've, it sounds like they expanded our speckle belly season at the back end again this year. So hmm. I think we, we might get a couple weeks at them and oh, that'll really? be good. And that'll be, oh, and then it's, in late, you're talking yeah. about in like the yeah. oh, February, yeah. January time frame. Yeah, yeah. Last week in January, first couple weeks in February, oh, and wow. then if you have any, if you have any talent, you bring up a few Kansas boys or some guys from Louisiana who know how to call <laughs> speckle bellies, and it is easy. I mean, it is, and then that's when all the white, that's when all the white spreads show up. You know, everybody starts putting out the snow goose decoys to start shooting speckle bellies and, you know, like the Kansas boys used to do, you know, first started that, you know, I used to hunt, I used to hunt in West Texas quite a bit. And with the speckle bellies, we noticed that big time, like when they were coming down the beginning of the migration, first light, you got a good crack at them, but they, or yeah. if you got big groups of Canada's coming in, then that would increase their confidence and they'd come in. But for the most part, the specs were at times impossible. And yeah. They would always, and what we hated so much was that we would get one or two speckle bellies that would constantly circle the spread, but a hundred yards up and just make noise. Anyway, they specs were tough for sure. Then they would kind of disappear. And then when we get them coming back through, if you knew how to run a call, especially they were yeah. really susceptible to decoy spreads. And if you look at a lot of my later pictures of Texas, you mm-hmm. would you would see us not with a full limit, but we'd have our three specs. At least that's what it was then when I'd hunt there. We'd all have our three specs for sure. And that was in January, February as well. It's um, fun. It's exciting. I know. I know everybody's excited about it. It's rejuvenate. And it's kind of you rejuvenate everybody you hunt with. I know the guys I hunt with, they, it's like the first couple weekends that you're hunting again, cause they're all excited to shoot specs or the possibility. It's different. It's new. It's, you know, Just the hard, day, the, hard the hard journey. Yeah. The hard, the hard days of setting out all day and seeing 13 birds are over. <laughs> you yeah, know, that, once that rolls around well it's just it's yeah. cool that how much more, more opportunity there is now in waterfowling and for waterfowlers than there was like you know you're a few years older than me but even when i started and when bill started even like your duck i mean you you went through the days of 30 30 day duck seasons yep. mm-hmm. yeah three duck limits and that and that wasn't <laughs> that long ago that, that happened yeah, and that was one that duck. was your duck. Yeah, yeah, one duck. Yeah, depending one duck on the point yeah. system. Yeah. And so now you know, I mean, every most people that are under thirty, they are not familiar with shooting less than six ducks, and and having basically <laughs> free free reign to shoot Canada's. Whereas you know, when when you were young and when I was really young, um, you you might not even ever seen a Canada. It was a big deal to see one when you're we yeah. hunting. So yeah. and it's gone now from where they're almost trying to eradicate them in the state of South Dakota to <laughs> you know 25 years ago or 30 years ago you didn't you might not have even seen one or was yeah. it was a cool a cool thing to see them so just the the opportunities that we have right now in waterfowling are really I mean it's it's never been like this in terms of what we can do and how long our seasons run uh, how many birds we have the op- you know the ability to take every day it's, it's pretty yeah. cool and the women were 
we're living in what I would still say is the golden age. I mean, it's not, it's different yeah. than, it's different than it used to be than it was in the thirties and forties. Um, but just the, they didn't have the seasons like this for one. They didn't have the gear. Mm-hmm. The guys didn't hunt the same. Um, so we have way more, way more chances to do the things that we like to do now than, than ever has been the case in waterfowling history. We've also got to hunt the time. I feel like from when I was younger to today of all some of the biggest, uh, innovations in, in decoying, calling and, and that kind of stuff. Cause I mean, electronics, yeah, electronics, um, <laughs> maybe I could say, unfortunately, but, um, and which, and that's perfect, yeah. perfect example of. Um, so being, being both that we're both duck hunters and photographers, I th- one thing I think is funny and I was just the other day sitting and thinking about some things we could chat about. And I think it's because we, we talk about both me and Doug talk about these together a lot, just online or chatting or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we talk about like new cameras coming out and new this and new that. And then, and yet I, I speak of that always verily. I'm always highly anticipating it. I love when a new camera comes out or if, if autofocus is better on a camera or if the ISO is better on a camera, that's always something I look at as a great thing. Whereas on the duck hunting side, I don't enjoy the technological gains as much. And yeah, I don't know why. I mean, there's certain things like when clothing gets better and waders get better. Yep. Love that. When I love gloves get better. Yep. Love that. When duck motors become more reliable, that's a great thing. No, there's a certain there's a certain thing about especially the technological side that I just I don't feel as excited about um, as when like a new a new camera technology comes out. And, like, well, I think it's it's like me and and my fishing on one of my Facebook pages. My one of my albums is another year without structure scan. Oh, I've seen I've seen that. I I don't have it, and I and and this I totally I've thought about this a million times, and it's it's. I, I, if I got structure scan, it'll make it easier. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I mean, that's it. That's what it comes down to. It'll become easier and I don't want it. And I want to still use my skill set of reading waves or reading how the carp are acting or if there's beer, you know, and a lot of that you can just, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the, what it gets down to. Yeah. Like the, you need to use your experience, your, your knowledge. And it, it jumps, it basically jumps you ahead yeah. without having to learn that part of it. Yeah, I think that's what what happens. Well, and I've, I know I've, I've yeah I've, I've looked at buying more motorized decoys, but not for hunting, but for photography. You know, to get them closer. Yeah. You know, I'm always looking, trying to get them closer, but for hunting, I'm like, Ugh, boy, yeah. yeah, that'll that'll well, make just, it a little bit easier. It's something yeah. that it's something that I mean, I I know that I've I've kind of gone through a. A revolution, not a revolution, just a, a change of, of my perspectives yeah. on that is when we, when we started hunting, there were no mojos, there were none of that, nothing you put a battery in to hunt. You walked out with your decoys and your yep. calls, and then that was your hunting. And hoped you had wind. I yeah, hope hoped you had some yeah. wind. Or figured out how to yeah. play wind yeah. as far as putting motion in the spread. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then it went to a mojo, and it went like, all of a sudden, like a year after mojos were out, everyone I knew acted as if we could never kill a duck without a mojo again. And, yeah. And we kind of went back to the no mojo thing over the past few years. And it's just really taken yes. like a different, it kind of, it, for one, it just enriches it. Cause you don't, 
it, it enriches the experience, but it also makes your life so much easier because I'm not listening to clunk, 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 clunk. I'm not listening to that yeah. all day. I'm not having to worry about, oh, God, maybe we should move the modules closer. Maybe we should move them farther. Maybe we need to put more modules out. Oh, should we turn the modules off when they do this? There's no yeah. baloney. It's decoys, it's calls, and it's hiding. And it's just more, it's more of that pure thing. It's just like, not, it's just yeah. like not having side scan or structure scan. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, and I wonder too, like if people, maybe someone who was a photographer back 25 years ago, hardcore, when autofocus became a thing or 20 years ago, whatever <laughs> came. I mean, I don't, I don't, oh, yeah. the weird thing is I don't, I don't see that market as being kind of like hesitant to see these new technologies but you do see it sometimes in the duck world where people are like oh my god now there's this thing and more contraptions and more of this and more of that and and there's people who like readily accept it and will buy all that stuff and there's people who kind of push back against it and i don't know if it's split 50 50 but there's enough people i feel either way but like in other markets you don't really see that i don't think like you like everything that's gained everything that's new is better like you know if a computer processor is faster no one's going to ever complain about that because more it's more productive it helps you get more yeah. done but there's a lot of, a lot of things and, and i'm one of them if if there's a new motorized gadget that comes out that helps you shoot more ducks like I'm always kind of leery at first and just not, it isn't exactly what I want to see the way duck hunting going, even though it might help you shoot more ducks. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's, no, I think that's true. That's my take on it. So yeah, I think it's true. I think it's, and you can extrapolate that to deer hunting, you know, with, oh, you know, the, I mean, comp, compound yeah. bows have only, I mean, you can't go much farther with compound bows. I mean, what, I think they're what you have is, now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah until, until but, people but it, get a lot stronger, but it's the same guys who, uh, some of my duck hunting friends are, are diehard bow hunting friends as well. And they're the, they haven't picked up a rifle in 15 or 20 years. Yeah. And it's, and it's the same premise, you know? Yeah. Oh, if I had, you know, because, you know, they'll sit around and sip whiskey and think, Oh man, all the 180 inch deer I could have shot in my lifetime. If I just would have kept the rifle, you know, but, but they're like, I don't want, that's not the way I want it to go down, you yeah. know? And there's a, yeah. there's a value in the, in the process that we each, yeah. that we each have and each everyone places their own kind of limits on that mm-hmm. and of oh, course any yes. each individual <laughs> values it more than what other people value it and so you know, like in the oh, yes. judgments based on oh. that and, and and i try not to do that i try to just say this is how i like to do it if someone else wants to do something different you know more power that's, to them but i like to do it this way and then that's how you do it and you enjoy it and you go out and have fun and i mean let other guys do it how they want it and Yes. Yeah, um, end of the day, everybody's happy, and you go home, and like you said, sip whiskey when you're done. Yeah, that well, you could, my friends will tell you I'm notorious for almost two things other than the camera is wearing a Boston Red Sox hat and shooting a 28 gauge. Oh, <laughs> yep. That's all I do is shoot a. You know, I'll I'll bring the 10 along. You know, if I know I'm gonna, I'll bring a 10. I'll I'll bring I'll bring the 12 gauge along if I'm knowing. I'm going to a gunfight instead of a knife fight where everybody else is using a 12 gauge. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm trying to get my bird shooting him at 40 yards plus, then I'll, I'll bring it for a snow goose hunting, but day in, day out, I'll have the 28 and, uh, even got down to the 410 last year, an old gun that I shot when I, I was a kid. I think you put pictures up my, on that, didn't you? Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so, uh, so when you shoot the smaller gauges, are you yeah. like the, the hunt you're looking for then is less shooting, uh, more quality shots, passing up on more shots. Is that kind of the <laughs> idea there? 
No, I want mass amounts of birds close. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of target, rich it's, target environment at it, close ranges. It's not, yeah, yeah. I'm not looking for that one shot. No, yeah, I think so. But it seems to me, and I think it's just the phase that a lot of the guys I'm hunting with now, we've just got to that. The friends that I hunt with, we call it gentleman hunting. You know, especially January and February, there's more hunts where we take turns shooting birds than we do a full out, yeah, a full out barrage. I mean, yeah, we'll still do a barrage every now and then, but if we got a single Canada or a five pack coming in, you know, we'll let the kids shoot or, you know, we'll kind of take turns or, or, you know, it'll be the type of hunting where, okay, you two are shooting, but the four of us are going to back you up as soon as you miss your first shot, and maybe you know, rub it's, it in it, a little bit. yeah, yeah. Instead of all six of us shooting, you know, two will shoot. And if they can't do the job, then, then we'll back them up. But if they do it, Hey, great. All right. The next, next time we're going to shoot and, or, you know, it seems like we yeah, and even the guys that I hunt with now, you know, out in western Nebraska and that, we don't even shoot our five-goose limit. You know, you just shoot your – you're happy with your three birds that you normally shoot in the past, and it just gets you back to the shed that much sooner and drinking whiskey and enjoying – because you, you're <laughs> – there, The other, part, I'm not the other as, parts of I'm not. I'm not – yeah, I'm not as young, you know, back when in college – you know, we used to go out and party a lot and, and the motto was all we have to do is get back to the blind, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we just, yeah. If, if it's four o'clock in the morning and we still have a half hour drive, someone drive us there, we'll sleep in the blind. We'll put decoys out later. Now <laughs> it's like, we need to be done by four. Cause we got to clean birds. We got shower up or be in bed by 10 (laughs) yeah we want to be in bed by 10 you know so we can get up at four o'clock and and get things going and so i think it's more along those lines too it's more uh, you enjoy the experience you're not always pressing and yep it's i I would i would just say it's it it's good and bad and and the young like my son and 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 the younger crowd which is Again, awesome. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, the accelerator is not pushed to the floor like it used to. Yeah. But that's not to say when speckle belly season comes, the late season speckle belly, the the throttles to the floor again, you know, know, foot pedals to the floor or the first couple weeks. Yeah, you've got that new, you've got that new little kind of revive. Absolutely. And I I think this all actually leads in really well, just like how important it is to have your your hunting group all on the same page whether it's like the whole like everything that you guys think of um and you're talking about like your photos and how they have to cooperate with that and even like i mean there's a lot of guys who would never they would be mad if you didn't if they weren't allowed to shoot at a flock you know so you you just have to know uh, and like kind of create your own hunting culture within your group um and let that and let the hurt because if you start to mix two different theories on hunting I mean, for one it's just not going to work um i've got a couple examples of that one of my friends had a, a totally like the two like one of my friends from a different state came and hunted out here with someone and they'd never hunted before and it was a you know it's a few hour like four hour drive for them and a kind of a big hunt and they got here and as the hunt started to unfold they just realized some very basic differences in how they viewed duck hunting in terms of shooting birds and calling and decoying and calling a shot and 
it basically led to not quite a fight, but close to it yeah. in the boat and a very solemn four-hour drive home. <laughs> yeah, from, yeah, from what we heard, it was a small fight that led to a long period of silence. Yeah, I mean, yes. basically a day and a half of silence between the two. And that's one of the cool things I think about, you know, once you start to really kind of weed out the guys that you don't want to hunt with anymore and you develop kind of that core group and everybody feels the same and you you almost know who is going to shoot like when you're going to shoot a duck you almost don't have to call a bunch of it because like if a fox at 40 yards like most guys i hunt with know that i'm not going to be calling that shot till they're at 20 and so we no one even gets antsy um yeah people kind of we know the same time when we want to quit like you said if it's slow at one o'clock well, you know what? Let's go scout a little bit. Let's go grab a beer and a burger, do a lot of other stuff. We don't have to kill that those last two mallards to have a good yeah. day. Yeah. So I think, and you've always talked about that a bunch with your with your guys and your photos. Yeah. Stuff, is how important that is to you. Oh yeah, it's it's, and I think it's, and again, it, nothing's wrong with it. I mean, I I used to think that, but. I, um, especially shooting little birds, you know, um, a great example when little birds come back, uh, at that point in time, I had some product photos I needed to get for Avery and of the new lesser shells or whatever. Yeah. And I need, I needed the birds low. I need, I absolutely needed them low. Well, you know, our friends, uh, would go, go back to the bar at night and they would go, Oh, geez. And I couldn't believe we don't it was awesome. We shot, you know, 48 birds, you know, it was just amazing. And and how many did you guys shoot? And they'd look and then we shot 13, 13. How could you know? There was just like all birds everywhere. How could you blah, blah, blah. And, and, and we would go, well, you know, you've got nine guys and you're blind and you're shooting at, you know, 40 to 50. I mean, it was almost snow goose hunting. And it was a party environment, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong, because I've done it. It is amazing. And I thoroughly enjoyed doing that. I still do from time to time. I still love doing that. Don't get me wrong on that. But I, th- at those particular times, I wanted the birds at 20 yards or under. And, and, and getting... On the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. And getting, and getting lesser sometime below 20 yards, even below 40 yards at times, is, can be tough. And so we weren't shooting a lot of birds. But so it hurts the ego quite a bit when you go into a bar when everybody else is high-fiving about shooting 50 plus birds and you've shot 13. <laughs> it's kind yeah, of, kind of yeah. have to like just yeah. realize what you want to do and how you want to do it yeah. and, and just say, you know what, yeah. you did it right. This is how we like to do it. Yeah. And, yeah. Know, I mean, and, that's not, and if your and buddies again, are good with it, then yeah, that's half I've, the battle. Oh, but, oh, but Hey, we've, I, I am notorious. I am notorious for not pulling the trigger and it doesn't even have to do with, uh, I'm the worst person to call the shot, which is getting better and better because a lot of times I sit outside the blind now with the camera and I'll be, you know, 40, 50, 60 yards outside the blind and I have no choice, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, Doug's, go- Doug's gone, Doug's gone. I can now finally call the shot. Someone so, we get to shoot. Yeah, we might get to shoot today because, yeah, it gets, yeah, and, and your friends, yeah, I, I've I've definitely lost friends hunting because they come to my blind or our blind, they know they're not going to be shooting birds over 30 yards, and that's frustrating. Yeah. Man, that's frustrating, especially when they've, they've got three days to hunt all year, you know, and, and it's just very frustrating. Now, on the same cord, <laughs> you know, I get to go, you know, to western Nebraska and... 
you know, back there, you know, it's, it's a whole different culture and environment and you get a single goose over the top of the blind at 50 yards. Oh, there's, there's a much finer things and smacking a, a goose at 50 yards, a single right over the top of the blind. I mean, that's, you know, the pass shooting on that, on that scale. And I know, you know, it used to be really big in South Dakota and, oh, and, yeah. you was, know, on, on the bluffs. For, yeah, there was clubs just for yeah. pass shooting. Yeah. And and again, it's like all these, okay, everything's got a rule. Everything's got a different things where I've been to the Indian reservation where you're just shooting a case a day for five birds. I've done that. But then also I've had a friend that got to go on a couple of those, or I guess there's one ranch in particular north of pier where they have the blinds and the bluffs. And he, he saw guys with 10 gauge and tungsten who it was an absolute art form to shoot a bird at a hundred yards. I mean, it was an absolute sniper fest and those guys got their birds in like less than five shells. And he said it was a pure, it, it was, it really opened up his eyes to see, wow, this, there's really is an out, an art form of pass shooting. Question. The guys have it, have it dialed in and have a special chokes made. And you know, that's, but it's, it's a stigma of the, of the general person of hearing sky blasting and, and think you're being a slob. Well, you know, they're, yeah, the, for the general most part there is, but there is that one little f- cult or faction of, of guys who perfect it and are very good at it. And I can appreciate that. I think that's cool too, but yeah, getting, getting, I guess getting long winded in there and you're, yeah, your group of guys, you just, and, and the more guys will come, guys will go, you know, there's guys that I haven't hunted with in a, in a, just because of family situations, I just mm-hmm. can't go anymore. You know, I can't make the big long trips, you know, to Jasper, Indiana anymore. And, and, you know, cause I just have kids and I just have to find open days to do it. And, and the same way, vice versa, kids grow up and, and or, you know, jobs take you away or, ten, you know, got a really good friend who his job just demands that he can't hunt anymore. And that's just the way it is. And the times that he gets to come out, we, we love it because, you know, well, he it's like, old, it's, yeah, yeah. It's like old times and, and just things change and people, you know, there, there may be a time, I don't know if there'll be a time I won't ever go duck hunting, but you know, there's just people that just get out of it. Yeah. There's people they may be complete. Yeah. They may be complete diehards for 20 years. And then all of a sudden they just go, you know, I just want something different. Yep. <laughs> they end up going to deer hunting. You know? I, feel, I feel like there's a lot of those folks that you can identify. Like you can, yeah. like when I was like, when I was younger, I could say he just won't, he, just, he won't be duck hunting when he's 45 years old or 40 years yeah. old. Like this, it's just something yeah. that you can tell that even though they really even, liked it, you could tell it was maybe more of a social thing or something yeah. like that, rather than having that real drive to go chase ducks where that's all that they think about. And that's what they, you know what you base all your decisions on. There's people who do that and there's people who just do it. It's kind of more casual. And I think when you're one of the ones who, who does it, you take it more seriously. You maybe like look down upon those people, but you have to realize that well, that's just how it is. Yeah. I just want to do something different. And I mean, I've, yeah. I've given up myself a little bit of September goose hunting, which to me used to be one yeah. of my favorite things. And now I elk hunt and do, I'm going to go on a mule deer hunt this year. Just yeah. to do something different. And part of that is so that I, I don't get burned out on it. But, oh, yeah. But come duck season, I'm going to be hunting, I'm hoping, almost every day this season. And I don't see myself getting burned out. Maybe I'll skip a day to sleep in or something like that. But yeah. I don't. 
I don't see myself ever like quitting this when there's just folks that guys that are around that can, you can see them kind of start to fade off a little mm-hmm. bit, or maybe they yeah. need that kind of rejuvenation, which I mean, I know Bill kind of got back into that. Um, what, just a couple of years ago, like kind of got burned out from guiding and that, and then yeah, jumps back in because he had some cool hunts and yeah, I mean, that's kind of a story in itself, but, uh, I did do a lot of guiding for a lot of years. Um, when I was 18 is when I made a choice between college or I was, offered a guiding job in rochester minnesota and that was an easy decision for me then um and then that proceeded into a lot of other guiding jobs and i won't get too long-winded with it but yeah there was a little bit of a burnout point and that had to do with with guiding um and and uh i did have to step away from waterfall hunting not entirely but there was kind of a two three year sort of break there where i wasn't my drive wasn't as strong um but it's stronger never now again and and i've been hunting with phil a lot and that's for a few reasons one i just needed the break but two phil kind of introduced me to when it comes to duck hunting uh to quit using a spinner and I questioned that at first just a little bit until I did a couple of hunts with him where we quit using them. And it brought me back to being doing it when I was a kid again. And yeah. And, and uh, something about not using the spinner uh, and having to concentrate more on the blinds, the camouflage, yeah. the hiding. Uh, duck hunting is kind of cool, too. You have to be stealthy to be a good duck hunter, I feel like. Well, to be a good waterfall hunter, of course. But with duck hunting, you know, you don't have to use giant spreads you don't have to call hard but you do have to hide well you have to be on the spot that's on the spot you have to get underneath them and to not use a spinner again because there was a point in time where i'm very guilty of saying um you know oh it it doesn't matter where we go just put the spinner out and they'll be on our face you know um but phil was the one that's like ah no I i don't even use that thing anymore i'm like really you know, <laughs> nope, nope. I don't, I don't, I don't. I mean, I keep one in the bottom of the boat because sometimes we have to put it out, but I just try not to use that. But that, that was what three, four years ago, and now you don't yeah. even keep one in the bottom of your boat anymore. I, it I don't takes think takes away the option of having to worry about it. But it turned me no. into I don't know if I want to say a kid again, but it got me really excited about duck oh. hunting again because no, we didn't just stick this thing out that did all the work. It was now back to being stealthy, yeah. being tricky, um, thinking about our decoys, thinking about our spot moving moving spots and i got a real sense of pride in my soul i guess you could say and knowing that that we did that we made the decision yeah. to get those birds and it it really rejuvenated me to get <laughs> hardcore back into duck hunting again well you became a hunter again yeah, exactly you know yes mm-hmm. that's it and and i think that's uh a f- Matt McCormick, you know, Matt, and he yep. coined the, I don't know if he coined it, but he coined it when I've been hunting with him and he calls it rough hunting. And it is, it's, it's about getting back to the basics and getting, I, I, I Hey, I like, I like hunting out of big pits, TVs in them, but you know, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of them around here, but day in, day out, boy, just give me a dozen duck decoys or a dozen Canada decoys and let me hide on a bank and, you know, and, and get it done that way. And, uh, oh, it's exactly right. I think, I think what you also, when you're not using a spinner, it's just like, it was another th- reason why we went, I kind of made the conscious choice, whether the guys that I hunt with know it or not. I went to the small Canada spreads because I wanted to talk. I hated that Bangalore relay calling of geese. And I wanted more intimate one-on-one where I actually felt like I was talking to them, mm-hmm. you know, and now, and that's what we do now. A lot of times we'll call geese and not even shoot them. 
you know, because now it's to a lot of the guys in the blind, a lot of the guys in the blind are like, hey, I'd rather just call these to the ground. Hey, that was awesome. Let them go. Let's do mm-hmm. it again. And, and not even shoot. And yeah, that, may, that will boggle some guys' minds that, yeah, you let them land. What? Are and you crazy? Ch- and, and then chase then, them away. Yeah, and chase, push them out. And then, yeah, hopefully get another flock to come in. But I think it's the same way with you not using spinners. I, I think you're... You want to you want a more of an intimate relationship with the, the birds that you're calling or hunting, yep. and you actually and you I think you'll find and I'm sure you whether you've figured it out or not that you're actually calling those birds more or less, but oh, reading sure. them more. Yeah. you're There's hunting no them more. There's no question. You, it, the skill, calls, yeah. Duck calls take yeah. a whole new level when you don't have a, a switch to flip on. Yep, and also yeah. a, a a duck call becomes a, one of the most important tools you have out there. Huh. And that's what yeah. we, I mean, I, I love to blow a duck call. It's one of my, it's probably one of the main reasons that I love duck hunting so much. Same reason why yeah. I like turkey hunting and same reason why I like elk hunting. I'm, I'm communicating with those things and it is kind of that, that little bit of an intimate talk you have with them. And it, actually I should say when we're duck hunting, it's typically not very intimate because it's usually a lot of loud, loud yeah. barking at them at first, especially, but then to finish them, it's that kind of soft, a soft stuff, of course, but that's, you're like, you're actually participating in the hunt more rather than being yeah. just an observer yeah yeah 100 and like and it the same idea with just it, i think it's it's part of it like as you want to um develop it as as an art kind of even like the way the past shooters were that you're talking about like you're you're trying to refine your skills yeah as a duck hunter yeah. and it, is, well, it I, isn't necessarily about shooting i'm sure there's times where maybe we probably could have shot more if we did use a spinner or two but in my mind, I'm not worried about it because yeah. we enjoyed what we did just as much. And I mean, we still have pretty good success with the exception, you, exception of last so year. I'm sure you've got to this point, but I mean, you get to the point where you're calling ducks that if you're, you are very good at it. I mean, it's a craft that you've perfected and you can pretty much look at a flock of ducks oh, yeah, and just know. the way they're acting, the way they're calling. But have you ever, have you ever not, called in a flock of birds that you know that you could shoot because you didn't think the guys deserved it that you were hunting with um, i have done i have I got to that no point where they, where they have they have upset me enough or i didn't think they deserved them or i mean like i could call these flocks in right now for these guys and they could shoot them but they're being they just <laughs> whether, whether they're not respecting the resource or not respecting me or i'm just you know like what? do they really do they really deserve to shoot these birds i'm not gonna call them in well, that's and i don't that's I've and never... that's gets, that gets in that that gets in that whole burnout phase i i guarantee you guides i know some goose hunting guides oh, yeah. that have that are like that that if the guys that they're guiding are being jerks they're you know, they can put those birds, those, you can, you can have the craft down to a, to a science that, that, yeah, you can, Oh yeah, I don't know. So I would, I, I would, I could I, totally I, I, see this, that. Okay. Maybe I should put it this way. I've been in that deep. Oh, man. I've been in that deep you where, know. where I called to Jake, where I tell Jake, I say it's, it's being the beast and I've, I've got too far into waterfowling. Yeah. where I've seen the beast. I've seen all the bad things. I've seen 
everything that you don't want to see and, and whether of- the guy whether the guys deserve it or not and it, you're just like oh wow there's a lot of things know. that rear yeah, their head crazy. in those situations yeah. and you know kind of how we talked our hunting groups i'm i'm very picky on who i hunt with i mean jesus last yeah. i think all last season i only hunted with maybe six people total mm-hmm. maybe seven yeah and you know, those are people that I've chosen to, to hunt with. And there's a lot of times where I either have invites or people have asked to hunt and I just, it doesn't work. I like to keep the group small. I like to keep it tight and who I know they like to hunt with. And if I just think that there's someone's going to kind of cause static and we, just, we don't go. Um, but on that note, this year I do have a few plans with some different guys that I've never hunted with um, to come up here and, and try to <clears throat> try to team up and do some hunts. So I'm kind of excited about that and just see how it goes. And, and on that note, you know, I've been fairly even picky then on on who that is. Um, and a lot of, I mean, there's a lot more people I would like to hunt with, but a lot of them are just far away and just doesn't work or whatever. Yeah. But so I've never been to the point where I didn't call out a flock of ducks because that that little bit, like you said, like where you know that that flock is gonna is gonna do it. And I always call them workers, um, mm-hmm. whether they're gonna work or not. It's it's an old Barney Caliph video, I think, where he calls them that. Yep, those are workers, and you can just tell by their wing beat. You can tell by their height, and that, mm-hmm. that, the minute that you two guys hit them with a pretty aggressive hen, that they're just gonna you're gonna see two two wings are just gonna lock up, and two seconds later the whole flock is gonna do it. And that inst like that actual like three second period where that happens is what I think probably I take the most like joy out of in duck hunting. It's, mm-hmm. I, I have more fun doing that than I do actually shooting when you get that flock to to, yeah. to break down and lock up on you like so i i would i could say that i've never not called it a flock of ducks <laughs> that i thought was gonna work well i've never heard that before dog that that's pretty interesting <laughs> though and and i i get it i do get it 100 percent yeah funny. oh man uh, yeah i don't know yeah probably shouldn't have went yeah there's gonna be guys there's gonna be guys you hunted with now going I wonder if that was us that one day. <laughs> I've, I, I've talked to a couple. Yeah, I know. I know it, it happens. And yeah, I think, but also I think it's, yeah, it's just part of the process and part of, of the evolution. And, well, just and like understanding I, oh, the like, hunt. And- yeah, it's like now the guys I hunt with has nothing to do with, I mean, yeah, we still like to shoot birds, but it's the culture around it. And and I think that's that's kind of why I've got so much into fly fishing. It just it's the culture is is so much different. If if well, it's rich, it's richer if, than if like a, a walleye. Yeah, walleye well, let's put it. Is. If you if you if let's put it this way, if you're under the age of 22, and you come to me and you just totally brag about, oh, I freaking just smash birds today, and we're just whacking and stacking and just, wow, I'm pretty happy for you. But you know, if you're still that age and you're I don't know. I, I just, nothing flares me more than a huge ego. And, well, you know, and, and I, hunting but, but, is, but, is full of it. Yeah. It, and I can't when I was younger. I, I had, had it. it. Yep. I absolutely had it too. I have, yep. I, I'm, I'm as guilty. I was the biggest idiot. I, I no, I was the biggest prickosaurus when I was in my late twenties, early thirties. I was an arrogant little punk. I will, I will fully admit it. And I, it didn't. And 
and I think I got to the point where, and I, I, I kind of, there became a, like a demarcation line when I was starting to take, when I was calling people up and trying to take people, I was trying to take people just to show them how good of a goose hunter I was mm-hmm. at that point. I would kind of realize that maybe this isn't too smart that maybe it, it did at that. I was, there was kind of that, the, again, seeing the beast. I was like, I'm in this, I'm just showing off and trying to show people how good I am and how much I have and how many decoys I have. And, and I've, I've kind of, re- I've, I've totally rebelled against that way of thinking. Now it's like, now I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate somebody else shooting birds. I want to, I want to, I want to be that. I want to see it's kind of a, it's kind of this this demarcation. You'll see it on my Instagram feed of uh, the Anthony Bourdain watching an Anthony Bourdain show in Montana, and that's it. I want to see how everybody else does it. I want to see everybody else's experiences. I want to I want to live their experience and see how they see it. And because I think I've I've seen it all, and I want to see something new. That's what I'm looking for. I'm just looking for something new. And man, those people that just have that that young, unbridled, childlike enthusiasm and passion for it man i just i just cannot get enough of that and whether we shoot a bird or not but if he's excited the way he sets his decoys or how he treats his dog or you know you know a hand you know making sure that his grandfather gets a spot in the blind or the best spot in the blind or or you know i really love that and that's what that's what turns me on to hunting right now man you show me passion and you show me kindness and yeah boy that that, i love seeing that right now turns me on i love Um, hearing that that's one of the reasons why i want we need to get together for a hunt sometimes i think we share a lot of the same the same background and like in history and what we value out of the hunt and it's funny because there's so much of the opposite I think in the hunting world now that I've had this discussion, yeah. this discussion with a few people, I think that if, if you made it illegal to post pile pics on Instagram <laughs> and Facebook, I legitimately think you would lose 20% of the hunters would be gone. I think you actually, um, people would, would stop but, hunting. Yeah. But then again, we're guilty of it. Yep. I know. <laughs> it's totally, totally yep. guilty of it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's just part of the process. It's just, yeah. Yeah. There's just some grow, as you, some grow out of it and some never do. And but, some grow and some yeah. grow into it is even maybe a yeah. better way to put it. Cause like, yeah. like, and there's some people who I think really value all that side stuff that the not shooting the actual, all the other stuff of hunting besides just the shooting. Yeah. And there's other people who like, you know, when I was little, that's what I like is the whole aspect of hunting. But then there's people who kind of like develop that over time and you can actually see them start to really, oh, yeah. really like yeah. it, which I think is a, a cool aspect as you get someone into hunting or someone that you even hunted with for a long time that maybe just didn't get all that. And, but you kind of see it building. Oh, I think that's yeah. cool to see. Yeah. And, I, and there's a guy that was probably my number one mentor uh, that I hunted out on the river with and, and guy valued the time hunting with him. But boy, he would always tell me, Doug. Don't be doing that, Doug. You got to be doing this. This is going to happen if you do this. And if you do this, this is going to happen. And, oh, you need, and and I was like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. You're just trying to keep me down, you know, Uh whatever. But frick, everything, every single thing that he ever told me would happen, happened. And, and he was, so I'm kind of like in that mentor phase that he was in. You know, when you see a young kid coming up and and maybe getting a little loose and yeah, you're like, man, just be patient, you know, and you know, things, things will always happen. Things will take care, you know, but you know, you need to, 
yeah, he was he was a great mentor, and yeah, it's, it's that's one of those things that I that isn't there isn't a lot of in the hunting world because so many guys and like kind of like we talked before, just the time is an issue, and people don't have that ability to do that as much. And I, I it's something I, I've actually just started volunteering at a uh, for the game fishing parks at a big like center here in Sioux Falls. And one of the, the things I really liked about that idea was being, because they have a mentoring program and I want to get involved with that this fall, where actually you can take, you know, a dad and a son out on a hunt and just kind of show how it's done. And yeah. and, and, then, and not even to, to show them how it's done, but just to give them that opportunity to go, but then maybe sh- like try to instill like that passion that I have for it in them so they can kind of see, you know, what waterfowling really means. And it might not just be the stuff that you see on YouTube. You know, guys walking down a row of 100 dead cannons they shot in the morning, mm-hmm. throw them in the back of the truck like they're a bunch of garbage. So, there's, you know, there's more <laughs> there's more to it than that. And I think that's one of the cool things about waterfowling is we have a lot of opportunities to do that. You, just, you have to take the time to do it. And, and yeah. it's not necessarily easy and it's not always the cool thing to do, but it's it, it can be very rewarding. And, and if you can make if you could if I could develop two people who had the same passion that I had for duck hunting, I mean, I would consider my duck hunting career a success i think at that point yeah yeah so yeah that'll happen i mean yeah i mean if you look i mean there's yeah there's a lot of opportunity to to do that or be that yeah, be that way find it. it's interesting that you yeah. talk about this uh mentor stage that that you feel you're in now or that you had yourself you know when 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 you were younger and i'm 35 years old and i'm just in the last couple of years starting to understand that phase of hunting because i feel like i'm just getting into it now and a couple of things i wanted to bring up and if for people that are listening especially if you're a little bit younger um that i think is interesting is is one is with i think this is with all hunting but with waterfall hunting i now see so clearly i don't understand the um, how do i say it competition aspect or looking at other groups and other spreads and the first thing you hear let's say you're scouting and you see someone out in the field the one thing i think we got to get away from is is saying look at those idiots out there or look look at those clowns out there or can you believe they put snow goose decoys in their spread or what are they doing on that part of the field and i think we got it we got to get away from thinking everyone else that's doing it is idiots because if you walk out if you could walk out there and you'll find out that that could potentially be one of your best friends that is someone who shares the same interests as you that are out there and i don't understand why we look at it from our truck or from the boat or wherever and think that everyone else doing it is idiots for some reason i i i think that's something we have to get away from you and i'm starting to look at those other spreads out there and i think that's cool or god i think that's some young kids out there i think that's why they're over in that weird part of the field or something they they, they don't know yet and i think we got to get away from that everyone else is doing it they're not idiots they're just like you and i they're the same yeah. people yeah there's, there's definitely levels of proficiency in hunting but like I, I've been guilty of it myself. And you're like everybody, every other hunter, like even if you're scouting a field, the first thing is, who are these dumbasses pulling up? Yeah, yeah. I've said that so many times. Yeah. Who, who are these idiots? Who yeah. are these dumbasses? Yeah. Oh, God, here we go. Yeah, great, you know? great. But there are same, there are, yeah. there are crowd. There are people there. They're, yeah. mm-hmm. Why we're not instantly it's, friends, I don't know. It's the opposite. It's like, yeah, it's like walleye fishing. I know that happened. Yeah. I was, I, I was accused of, uh, yeah, I was the same way. I was like, my those freaking idiots. They have no idea what they're doing. They have the fish to spawn. You got to do this. Why aren't yep. they doing that? They're just being idiots. And a friend of mine, another older guy said, hey, have you ever went up to him and say, hey, you know, you can you can catch more fish if you 
do it this way. Have you ever taken the time out just to go up to them and say, hey, you know, you can do it in a little bit better. You may want to do it your own way, but you know, you can do it this way. And you know, when you're young, you're so competitive mm-hmm. and I think, and, and you, you know, you, you are, let's, you're you know, we're all alpha, a name we're for all, yourself. Oh, a we're all alpha male. Yep. When our teens and twenties, we're all alpha males and we're all trying to prove ourselves. And yeah, just sometimes extending that hand. And I, I, that's where I get through fly fishing too, is good night. I cannot tell you how many times we're, I've met somebody on a stream where if I'm, I'm going to meet them in a, in a rainwater basin, they're going to cuss at you or yell at you or, you know, it's, it's, it's it's, going to be a negative environment, but where the other guy gives you, you know, Oh, you're not catching any fish. Here's 10 hand tied flies. And Hey, come over here. I'll show you. And you mind if I watch and I don't know. And I've, I have found a few, I have found, I have found an area where it's like that duck hunting That's and cool. it's a, it, it's a, it's a whole different culture. And yeah, maybe I'll invite you there someday, but it's <laughs> the, the culture. I'm available the culture this is, year. <laughs> yeah. It is amazing. A, a buddy of mine was going to use a buddy of mine was going to go, oh, I'm going to go there and I'm going to use 50 dozen goose decoys and I'm going to call every goose in the country. And I'm going to, I'm like, dude, you don't need to do that. <laughs> and, you know, cause I, cause he said, Oh yeah, there was like three pickups on the side of the, the County road watching me the other day, just smack birds. And, oh boy. and I said, I said, did you know, those are probably, you know, three guys just watching you shoot birds and they're enjoying you shoot birds. They're not trying to steal your spot. They're not trying to hone in or, or be negative. I said, they just, I mean, I have literally seen people in the County roads pull off to the side and just watch people shoot birds because they just want to watch people shoot birds. And and it's it's just a total foreign concept. And I think it's a it's just the environment or the the area that you're in. If you get a lot of hunting pressure, it's of course, it's It's going to be like that. But but if you're yeah, but if you're in a non area where there's not really a lot of hunting pressure or it's very, very traditional, you know, you're almost happy. Again, it's you're celebrating the hunt. And, and yep. when you go to the coffee shop and, you know, I remember one, one area is we brought out G&H super mags, you know, back oh, yeah. in the 80s. Yep. Oh, yeah. Everybody had those. And and so guys were stopping us in the in the coffee shop going, hey, I heard you ran the super smags or super mag spread today. Yeah, That's we funny. did. Oh, God. Yeah. And it almost brought tears to their eyes. Oh, I remember we used to reuse those and lay out in cornfields and put them over the top of us. And, and yeah, that, that. Oh, yeah. And it worked. And. God, you know, again, that's, that's what I'm searching for. That's what I'm craving. Instead of finding honey holes to hunt, I'm finding, I want to find those guys. And, and I, those, those type of guys in that type of environment, I'm just totally attracted to. And the photography, and then the photography just becomes amazing. Well, yeah, because you can show I think yeah. that actually is one of the, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about specifically yeah. is yeah. how in photography how important it is to at least for me to truly understand the subject and that all the um, the things that go around with it to really portray that in photos and I think that's something that that you show your photos show that you understand duck hunting you understand fly fishing at a deep level. And your port, your photos portray that. I think there's something to be said for that because, like the other day, uh, I was taking photos of a um, kayak, of some people kayaking or paddleboarding and kayaking, and that's not my world. 
And so I kind yeah, of felt like I, I kind of felt, I mean, like I could get the photos technically, but I don't know the same aspects. I didn't feel like I was like, could get in there as deep as I could if I was shooting a guy turkey hunting or if I was shooting someone putting out duck decoys. Like I, the, legitimacy, my, the legitimacy of my photos in the kayaking world just felt faked compared to something I would do when I was that guy. Oh, <clears throat> you know what I mean? Okay. I, I yeah. didn't like... I don't grasp it as well. I'm not <laughs> concerned about it as much. So it doesn't feel, it didn't feel as like, uh, like I had that like grit in it. Yeah. And maybe yeah. I, don't I know. know. And now, and I think it's, well, this might be a little long winded, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Um, <laughs> the first couple guys that I, that I submitted photos for, for editors, almost everybody, almost every single one of those editors went, you're a hunter. He said, you're a hunter first before you were a photographer, weren't you? And, They'll tell you, we get all kinds of photos from all kinds of people who are photographers, but they're not hunters oh, or, you know, they, yeah. they're, but you know, like you, you, you've got an in you've got, and it's becoming more and more. There's, we're not as unique as we used to be, yeah. but when I first started doing this back in 2004, 2008, it was really unique. And I even, even working with a couple people on a national level, um, they were, they were like, well, wow, you, you hunt, you really got a blind eye is what they would say. Yep. You know, this cool. is, this is from a blind perspective. Yep. This is, this is from a hunter's perspective, not a photographer's perspective. And I would run into hunting with people. Like when I ran in, when I hunted with a guy up North and for a magazine and the same thing, he, he told me the same thing. He goes, man, you're a hunter. You're not a photographer. And, uh, cause he said, just the way you act, where you position, he goes, just the first Within the first 15 or 20 minutes of hunting with him, he's like, that's what he told me. He goes, you know where to set, you know, yeah, he says, you know where to be, you know where the birds are. He goes, we didn't even have a flock come in yet. And you knew exactly where to set and where to, to get everything. And, and I think that's, I would like to say, I'm, I'm, that's why I like fishing, fly fishing so much. It's like I'm eight years old again. And every, every time I go fly fishing, it's brand new. I'm learning something brand new. We're hunting. It seems like I've done it all and it's, it's yeah. not very new. And I think, but saying all that, saying all that, those people that were kayaking, um, I got, a, I've got a, a good friend that his dad owns a, he's a doctor, but for one of his sideline businesses, he owns a brewery and he's getting a brewery going up and going. Yep. And I, you can see him around town and talk to him about normal things, or I see him at the hospital and. He's just very mundane and things like that. I remember I got a tour. We were there drinking at his brewery and, and he goes, Oh, do you want a tour? And we're like, heck yes. So he took us downstairs to all the brewery and oh my gosh, you should have seen him just light up, just boom. He just blew up. And I'm like, I want to take photos of that guy, that yep. pat, that passion, that oomph that he had that passion for something. And I don't think, I think it's, you know, transfers, whether you're quilting or brewing or kayaking, if you could just find or making pizzas, seriously, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. could go to your spot. I guarantee you, I could get some amazing photos of you making pizza because you love it. And it's something you're very passionate about. And yeah, if, if you can find somebody who's passionate about it, Man, photography is easy. It's funny. It really is because it translates through it translates translates through every genre. It's funny you, that you say it, that because the kayakers and the paddleboarders I did, they were not kayakers mm -hmm. and paddleboarders. They were oh. people that were models. <laughs> so that actually really <laughs> relates. They were just people that were there to oh, do the modeling. So they I did. Noticed. 
So you nailed it. It was exactly. Okay. Remember we were down at the Poma deal at Honey Break. Yep. And Richard went out in the kayak. In his, and we were trying to do the whole. Lackluster. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were like, oh, this isn't any good. Yep. It's funny you say that because I was actually thinking of that photo here as we were talking. Like, yeah, that just wasn't his yeah. gig. He's a duck hunter. Yeah, and a you kayaker. S- Gosh, and you see so much of that in the advertising. And it oh, just it's all over. It's cringeworthy. You know, it's not as bad as it used to be, you know, back in the early, you know, in the nineties and early aughts. There There's, I remember one photo, the guy's holding the duck call backwards. Oh, and you're going, my. How, how, can, how can you even put this in print ad? Uh, and I'm like, oh my God. I always go to there's a photo. We used to, when I worked at Cabela's, there was a low catalogs and every year they must have used the same art director and the same <laughs> photographer because every year there was a yes. dude out in the middle of the lake in his John boat with no mud in it, no dirt, no nothing. And he had yeah. kind of like six decoys laying in the bottom of the boat, him in full camo and blowing his duck call without a gun or with his gun chamber open. I mean, just some crazy thing. Like, who? How does that ever get by? That's so, it's so fake that like, anyone, you don't yeah. have to really be a duck hunter to know that's not real. Yeah. So, there was, um, yeah. so I just think mm-hmm. that's one of the things I've always noticed, like, just through a, kind of even uncovered more of it through our discussions here. And, and like that is that you get it, you get hunting. Um, you know, and like I would say you're one of the guys that I look up to in the hunting world in terms of like who, I like to would like to compare myself to whether it's photography. I think I have a long ways to go in the mood photos, um, but I mm-hmm. like just how we hunt and like how we think about it. I think you're someone that I would consider a yeah a peer. I don't know if that's the right well, word or not, but is that a, you're a river rat, so you, you yeah. already qualify. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I am. A, I'm a, I'm a part part time river raft. The first part of the year we it's not we don't hunt the river, but the second half that's pretty much where I live and. If you, I've been trying if to, you, yeah, because uh, yeah, I've uh, that friend of mine that I hunt with in the same locale that you yep, hunt with. Yep, or you hunt in that area. If I know all I have to do is, and he's kind of my checks and balances guy. He's he's the greatest duck hunter that you'll never know. He is. He just doesn't want any social media. He wants no nothing. Even though he's been in several of my photos, and and I love hunting with him. But yeah, if I if I told him. All I have to tell, well, who's this Phil guy? And I'd say, well, this is this. And I'd say, well, he hunts without mojos. <laughs> and he, a, lot of, a lot of times he doesn't hunt that same area till the afternoon. Yeah, later. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, it's funny that, right. that uh, checks out. he gets yeah. it. Yeah. He gets it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cross it up. You know, that's one of the things that I think is cool, too, about waterfall hunting is that, and when we were talking about just kind of the egos and all that, that I really started to let mine chip away. This was, this was actually a long time ago, and it took a while for it to, to really go away. But I remember we hunted a spot in Minnesota, and it was an insanely busy day. I think it was the last day of the season. It was a really busy marsh, and there was like 30 boats just at the one access we had, plus there's cabins on the lake. And I remember we, we got done, and we shot our ducks. And I remember... We pulled as we were pulling up to the access. There was a lot of people coming off the marsh at that time, and everybody had their ducks. And I just remember, and it was that and a combination of another spot in western Minnesota that we hunted. Seeing this, seeing all these guys that you're like, "Well, who's that? Well, who's that? Well, how do they get their ducks?" Like just because we didn't know who they were, we were surprised that they could shoot ducks like we could. And that seeing all these different people, you know, guys with just regular little 14 foot boats, like, you know, all of a sudden it made me feel like, you know what? We're not that special. 
duck hunting isn't <laughs> isn't rocket science. There's a lot of people who do it well that you're never going to see their yeah. their their pile yeah. picks up on Facebook. You're never going to see them making videos. There's just a lot of guys that just go out and do it and they have fun and they shut their mouths about it. And yeah. they just then they're hunters and and so that kind of made me realize that there's other people who do it. They like to do it for the same reasons we do, and we're really all the same group. We just gonna have fun together and it's it's something i've just let whittle away one of those things i let whittle away at my ego and everybody has some of it but i've let that be a reminder that you're not the only guys doing this yeah and and you don't always uh, you learn something new every day and for sure and i'd rather i'd rather yeah it's fun to sit down with someone that you you can kind of have rapport with that talk about different ideas and and talk about different decoys or yeah. even spinners or All yeah but yeah hey i hey i i and i know i i've run in i've had people confront me uh numerous times about why did you post that photo or why did you put that photo in ducks unlimited now you've just ruined my hunting because mm-hmm. now i'm gonna have so much pressure you know and yeah it's a fine line and yeah there's photos i've i've never sent in or will never send in because they show too much but you know or <laughs> or, there's, there's or my marks i need to keep out of the background yes yeah. or yeah or they tell me or they tell me to put a Watertown, south dakota <laughs> you know water tower and every and photoshop that in every single one of my photos uh, you know but you know to the point i think hopefully i've and I do, I, I, I do. It's a conscious decision about posting or sending in photos or posting photos. And I really try not to, to ruffle anybody's feathers, but hopefully I try to convey the the message, the, the spirit of the whole deal is, is, yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to do. And I, I don't know. I yeah, think you do a good job of it. Yeah. Well, I will and, say that. And I, I mean, there's still ego. I mean, there's still, I, I still get a little proud and, and every now and then and, and think, I'm worthy when somebody's discounting you and, and it, that's just human nature. But uh, I think also there's also the point in time where you, you do exactly like you say, you just shoot your birds, you keep your mouth shut and yep. you kind of do your own thing. And, and that's good. And, and I, uh, and I, I totally get it. I do. I, I yeah, if there's anything, I, I, I try to understand everybody and try to, I really try to understand where they're coming from and, and where they're at. And yeah. That's so cool. anyway, that, I, yeah. I think you portray. I think you portray the fact that you you get hunting. I mean, it's it's clear. If someone wants to see, I think what photos that will make you feel like you're duck hunting, take a peek at duck stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you have an actual website then? Or? <laughs> I do. It's actually dougstanky.com, and it gets very little. Tra- in fact, uh, I haven't updated it in a while because I, I just alone. I put so much effort into it early you know, updating it almost every day or updating it, you know, and, and you just look at the traffic that it, get it garners and it's minuscule to the effort. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like one, one 20th of what Instagram mm. I might get, I might get, I might get five people that looks at that will look at that website in a week sometimes. I and you know, understand. Instagram, you know, everybody's on it all the time. And, yeah. and I, th- but you know, but the five, but the problem is I got to keep in mind, it's probably and like you too. You have to, it's the five people, it could be five editors looking at it or five people yeah. who are looking for a project or, and I gotta, yeah. So for that, you gotta keep it, but, it's just, but almost know. everything's on Instagram. Instagram just seems to be so much, uh, uh, it's so much easier 
uh, you know, if somebody's trying to look at your photos, literally they click it and with their thumb, they can roll up and down. Then they see, you know, it. just in the, it, it's a friendly in five atmosphere. They yeah. Can, they can see what you're and, about really quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In yeah. five seconds, I think they can portray, you can get more of an idea of who a person is and what they're doing just using your thumb where a website where you have to go in through a menu and then a scroll and click. It, yeah, it click. takes more. Look takes, at this style of photo or that style of photo. It, it, where it, it takes so much see it all. Yep. Yeah. I, I would yeah. agree with that. And it's just an, an easy platform. And it's one of those, actually, Instagram, I mean, I owe a lot to that. It's kind of what my Facebook world and that world, I never had any anybody looking at my stuff, it feels like. For some reason, Instagram was just a whole different yeah. deal. And it's been, like, really rewarding to, like, meet people and give me opportunities yeah. to do things like this and just and learn different things and, and see other people's photos and see where other people hunt. And, like, that's one thing I love is I love it when people post hunting photos from across the country because I have a running list of places that I want to go hunt based on other guys' photos that I've seen, whether it's a cool scenario or someone who consistently shoots a lot of ducks. I, I try to make tr- – make a mark as to where those guys are and it's a little bit of internet scouting if people offer up that information i'll gladly take it and i'm sure i've given some of that internet scouting up on my own photos as well so yeah i think it's it's just tough to get i know it's it's human nature i do it yeah for sure i mean i've been i've been enough around the state of nebraska that I can pretty much, I mean, you can almost see a tree line and go, oh, well, I know. Yeah. You've posted photos and that's, in fact, that's how I, that's exactly how I, how I came across you. I saw one of your photos on Instagram and I saw something and it's like, wow, I know exactly where he's at. (laughs) I mean, exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm sure people are the same way. And I know, oh, I know trout fishing is horrible with it. Oh yeah. And you can even look at rocks and, and, you know, exactly on certain runs, exactly where they're at or, yeah. Or I had a buddy who fished walleye fishes the canal and, uh, this guy was catching a lot of fish and so many fish. And there was one little concrete rock that was just more particular than any other concrete rock and just the way the rebar was sticking out of it. And he knew exactly where that guy was fishing. It's just crazy. But yeah, so it's, I don't know where do you, but then you're like, well, if the guy gives that way, if he, cares that much you know yeah. then maybe he's, maybe he's not all bad i don't know <laughs> i don't know and who knows i, love I don't know that when people you are know. that into something that you can one you can identify that but two that even you someone that other people look for that because like i do the same thing i'm looking for landmarks and god i think i know where that is and i think i can pick this up or at least gives you an idea of the area that they're in because i'll what yeah. thing i've done a lot is someone who will be hunting in a i know where they're from you can see where they're from and you see a lot of yeah. photos from the same thing. And I'm immediately on either Onyx or Google Maps. And I'm looking to see, for me, it's always a marsh. Like I see a cool marsh and I'm like, I wonder what marsh is in a such and such radius of this town that he says he's from. And I'm looking. And as soon as I find that, I've got it marked down. And I'm like, hmm, someday that might be a spot I have to go check out. Who knows? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I catch a lot of heat. And surprisingly, this is surprisingly, the most heat I ever get is from my wiper fish, my wiper fishing bit or oh, photos. Yep. I can 10, see that. 10 to one, 10 to, 10 to one. And it's wiper fly fishing. 
it's a pretty, it's a small <laughs> small community of you people talk doing about it a, right now. You talk about a, a niche community. Yes, yes. So yeah, I have I I've got the most hate mail from that than any other. Yeah, and it's lucky. crazy. Oh, I can actually yeah. see it because it's kind of a, it's a cool thing. It's one of those things I need to get down there and do sometime. We don't have wipers. It is. There, so. It's a it's a blast, and it and it's yeah, it's it's super cool and super fun. And, but, but I, I think people that they, it's like anything else. They think that it's only one spot that, that it happens in. And yeah, if, if you get into like if, you, if you, yeah. And if you get into it, you it's, frick, it's 23 miles of it. <laughs> it's just That's not cool. one spot. And, and I think duck hunting is the same way. It's just not one spot. Maybe yeah, just try sure. to figure out what they're doing and then trans transfer that to another spot. But yeah. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, well, but we're, that's we're coming up on two hours already. Okay. Are we really? If we're not, yeah. if we're not even, if we're not there yeah. already, I think we are. That went quick. It does. It it's amazing quick. how you start talking about ducks, and it just time flies yeah. by. Before we wrap up, yeah. Bill, do you have anything that you were interested in? Uh, well, first of all, I want to say, Doug, I was looking forward to this podcast for sure because I don't know, probably a year and a half ago, I started following you on Instagram, and you are kind of one of my favorite people. To follow because i mean started duck hunting when i was 10 years old got a lot of skin in the game and it's cool to see your post to see what you're talking about to look past the pile picks to look past the how many you know birds we shot you're a great representation of that out there right now um so i was really looking forward to this this conversation and there's there's one post in particular i wanted to point out since we had you on here and it's when i first started following you i don't know when it was but you had a band post you talked about bands I don't know if you remember uh-huh. that one or not. Uh, yeah. And I don't yeah. remember exactly what you said, but you talked about how we shouldn't get so hung up on them. And I think that's important to the other waterfall hunters that are out there listening. I know it's a reward to get them. I've gotten them. It's awesome. It's cool. But we really shouldn't be so hung up on bands all the time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And it, again, it goes to the whole phase deal. I went through it again. I'm guilty of it. I went through it. But boy, when you, I've just seen so many bad things happen. And uh-huh. I mean, literally, literally people who hunted for years together were torn apart because they didn't get a band or, and I guess that's, I guess maybe that, that would more where that post was coming from is, is that, yeah, it, it, it's our awesome and they're cool and they're, they're really neat, but I don't know. There's, there's, there's so much more. That's yeah. it. There's so, there's just so much more out there than just the band, and they're really cool. I I get it. I've got them, and it's it's neat. But it yeah. it, it, it should. I, I think people let it gauge a hunt. You know, like oh man, yeah. I was hunting the Missouri River all week. Oh, how'd it go? It was great. It was great. We shot birds basically every day. It was an awesome hunt. How many bands did you get? Well, we didn't get any bands. Oh. You yeah. hear that? Oh, well, it shouldn't have any determining factor on the hunt whatsoever. Yeah. It's a lot of issues. Yeah. And, and just- it was, yeah, it, there was another story where I had another post where there was a, it was a bird with a red leg band. It was a quill, oh. mm-hmm. a quill with a red leg band. And it was in our blind. It came in and I've, I've got two quills already mounted. I, I don't can't afford another one that's sort of like my cousin said <laughs> too space. and he goes and and the quill came in so i had him on camera and i went oh nice it's a quill it's a quill somebody shoot this quill it's a quill and there, every the three guys in our blind my son 
He's like, I don't want to shoot it. And the other guys, Corey, my cousin, Corey, uh, it's too expensive. I don't, I can't afford a taxidermy bill. And my other friend, he's like, I don't have my gun loaded. I'm not going to shoot him. And I'm like, well, who's, it's a quill. Somebody shoot a quill. And they're all fine. But this is all going over in about a spawn of about five seconds. Well, finally, Corey tries to shoot him and he hits him once and he thinks he's going to go down. And then he didn't. Well, then my buddy grabbed another gun. And he shot three times at him. Then my son, he tried to go up and chipped a tooth or chipped his gun trying to get it up because he was so excited and discombobulated to get it up. And he missed three times. And then it was flying away. And I hit it on my first time and it kept flying and I missed two more times. But so it was the whole deal of just we just totally messed it up and nobody wanted to shoot it. And it was a great story. Well, like two days later, it goes down to our neighbor's. And a guy shoots it. And it was his, well, I might have been his first goose. But well, when I look back over the photos, I'm like, oh, man, it was a quill with a red band. And we're all like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that would have been an amazing bird to shoot. And But two, two, days, two days later, some guys upstream shoot it. And so the guy calls me and he goes, hey, we just shot this bird. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a bad conversation. And, <laughs> and he goes, and he, but he was like, hey, he goes, I'm, we're going to mount it for the guys in the blind are going to mount it for the guy. And we want it mounted exactly the way that that photo is. Can I have a photo of it? And I'm going to get a print of it made. And and he thought it was so cool to have the whole story behind the way that we missed and the total discombobulation, but not to make fun of us, but just to yeah. have the, the story behind that. There's and then he it. shot it. A little, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's more and to it than just was a piece pre- of metal. That was pretty cool. I wish every, I wish every bird could... Wouldn't that be cool if you, somehow you could figure out every bird that every missed opportunity that a people had, that, had down the line? Yeah, that's the cool yeah. thing. That's the cool part about a band is that you. I mean, it's it's part of a scientific tool, but it's also something yeah. that has a story attached to it. I, I think that part yeah. gets lost. People just want that thing to hang on their lanyard and, yep. and show it as a a symbol of how good yeah. they are. And it's not, yeah. it doesn't have, the rest of it is kind of just goes by the wayside. Yeah. But yeah, but no, I've, I've enjoyed talking and it's been great and yeah. enjoyed is, talking about you. And yes, I need to, again, I am coming after your pizza dough. That's, <laughs> that is <isn't> it. <laughs> because we'll I need that, to figure that out. But yeah, I, too, yeah. Yeah. So, but in general, I try to, I, I always, I have all these ideas that I want to do and, and use and, because someone asked if I ever run out of ideas or things and I don't, I mean, there's, there's so many other hunting experiences I had when I was a kid that I want to portray through photography that, you know, there's a lot of ideas and things. It's almost like it's, I always say, you can, I have another little saying, everything in life can be learned by watching Bull Durham, you know, the baseball (laughs) show. And every, every little thing in life you can learn through Bull Durham. And one of them is, and I, I was so frustrated. And last night I was doing this with my strobe photography and, and I'm just like, just hit the bull, just throw at the mascot. Just, you know, when he goes up to and tells nuke to just, just hit the bull. Yeah. Trust me. And I'm like the same guys, trust me, lay out in a cornfield in Carhartt's underneath a GNH shell or get behind this big GNH or this big supersized silhouette decoys that I make. Just get behind them. They can't see you. It's going to, they're going to literally land on your face if you just get behind them. And, and there's all these little stories like that, that I used to do when I was a kid that I'm trying to relive. And that's what it comes down to. I'm really trying to document all my hunting experiences through other people. And yeah, that's, 
it'll never end. I mean, there's just so many things I want to do and can do. And I would love to recreate that whole situation on my very first duck hunt. You know, oh, and I, cool. you know, I would love to. It's just a matter of going down and asking the landowner to go set on that towhead. And I'm sure he would probably let me if I told him the story behind it. And, you, you know, doing? that's that's it. That's it. I mean, when people see that, then they get excited. And, you know, it's then you get all thing. everybody. Cool thing about everybody's photos. got passion. Yep. Yeah. It's cool that you can, that we can relate that stuff through photos and people can see it and and feel it. it. Yeah. So anyway, but that's, that's what I go for. Cool. Well, you do a good job. Um, everyone, thank you. You know, I would recommend definitely take a peek at his Instagram. Terry, I'm sure he has more stuff in in larger sizes on his, uh, actual webpage, which is originally named after himself. Like mine is. And <laughs> so take a few minutes to so do that. And you know, I really appreciate having you on, Doug. It was it was fun and kind of exactly what I expected it to be. So we will keep awesome. in touch. And awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone.